pods cast. It will tear you in two. You have to do the sort of like the pod cast. Rip the shirt. Uh, good job. Thank you. We only have uh, trailer quotes to go off of on the page right now. Uh, yeah. Well, we're doing this in advance of release. Mm-hmm. Also, I don't know that I could tell you. I just took Podcasts a big swig of seltzer, dreams. so I'm trying to like burp off he's, Mike. He's, he's, he's settling. Podcasts are, what's the line? Movies are dreams? Yeah. Here, look. I can I can run through here. Um, uh, if you stop making podcasts, it'll break your mother's heart. A thing no one has ever said. Mm, yeah, right. Do you always have to be the center of the podcast? Uh, some people might ask. A podcast or dreams that you never forget. There you go. That's what I was thinking. Right. Uh, you can't just podcast something. You also have to take care of it. It's more important than your hobby. It's more. Can you stop? Can calling you stop a, calling podcasting a hobby? Good. Good. <laughs> in this family, it's the scientists versus the podcasters. Podcasts will give you crowns in heaven and laurels on earth, but also will tear your heart out. Podcasting is no game. Podcasting is dangerous as lion's mouth. It'll bite your head off. I don't know. A lot of that. Do now you get the fuck out of my podcast. It'll be our secret podcast. Just yours and mine. She says that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you know what I love? Fablemans. This movie? Yeah. You like the movie. I was uh, pretty fucking in love with this thing. Um, introduce our podcast, and then I have something to ask you. This podcast is called Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David. And it is a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. Sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they bounce baby. Mm. Now, whenever a filmmaker we've covered in the past has a new film come out, we loop back around to catch up with them. Yep. Beep, beep. Honk, honk. And we covered the complete second half of Steven Spielberg's career. Yeah. A career so big that we broke it in half and we have yet to go back around to the first half. Yeah, we should do it. At this point, it's I almost wonder if it's our like Doughboys McDonald's where it's like, that's how we end the show. No, we're never ending the show. Um, since we did the podcast on him, mm-hmm. he has released three movies. Is that correct? Five. Five? Am I wrong? Is the Post? Five? Yeah, The Post. Ready Player One. Yeah. West Side Story. Right. The Fablemans. Yeah. Is there one other one? This is the fourth? Is it four? Yeah. I feel like there's one more, but maybe I'm wrong. I forgot about um, one of those. Uh, West Side Story. I guess right. I, mean, I didn't forget about it, but yeah. No, it's just four. Because yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, we ended our series on the BFG. Oh, okay. Okay. A firecracker ending if there ever was BFG. Uh, but yeah, since then, yes. uh, our man Steve has produced four films. Some of the directors we've covered have produced zero. Very true. Yeah. So, some of them have died. Uh, okay. But excuses, yes. excuses. But yes, no. Cameron Crowe, no new films. Yeah. No new films on the horizon. Although, now apparently he wants to make a Dazzler movie. No, he doesn't. Did you read that fucking thing? No. What thing? There was a headline that was like, uh, Cameron Crowe wants to make a Dazzler film for Marvel starring Taylor Swift. And I was like, what is that? That sounds like an AI auto-generated. Okay. So then <laughs> yeah, I read right. the interview, and they're like, would you ever direct a superhero movie? And he's like, I don't know. You pitch me one. Right. And the guy's like, like, a Dazzler movie with Taylor Swift. And he's, he's like, like, sure. Yeah, no, I'd he do doesn't that. say sure. He actually just goes, eh. he, he just like makes a noise, and they're like, he confirms it. Yeah. <laughs> In talks with Kevin Feige right now. Uh, uh, but yeah. no new crows. Uh, no new crows. Nancy's finally making a new movie. But no new Nancy's. Yeah. M. Knight's uh, been keeping it up. Yeah. We got one new Wachowski. Yeah. Uh, M. Knight's been the most prolific we've gone back to, right? We've only had one new Ang Lee. I mean, I think Spielberg might be the most prolific. Um, 
M Night, we ended on the visit. So we've done Split Glass and Old. Okay, so then it is Spielberg. Split Glass and Old. Right. M Night, uh, M Night will tie him with Knock at the hasn't Door. Hasn't been a new Bigelow. No. There's been a new Nolan or two. There's been one. Uh, all I have for you is a word. Ten. Um, Verhoeven did a movie. He did. James L. Brooks, still quiet. Uh huh. Kind of sounds like another guy who might never make a film ever again. Brad Bird did a movie. He did. Uh, Ang Lee has done new One. movies, but has been quiet. Yeah. Tim Burton has been making a Wednesday Adams show for Netflix and for the last God year. For that. Uh, Michael Mann finally working on something. Yes. Miyazaki long at work on something. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Demi, <laughs> lazy. Lazy Bones, just in, just kidding. He, he, may he rest in peace. Respect to the great man. Uh, Miller made a new movie, and he's uh-huh. making another one. Yeah. Efron. David's checking his watch. Where's my movie, Nora? Nora? Efron, get back to work. Uh, Gina Prince-Bythewood made a movie. Mm-hmm. Zemeckis. It's made, a shame. I, well, he... Yeah, it's, it's a shame he hasn't made anything. It's a shame that he actually hasn't made anything, and I found out retroactively the last five episodes of our miniseries maybe don't, <laughs> don't exist. exist right? Uh, Clements and Musker supposedly retired, although occasionally there's rumors they're working on something. Yeah, yes. Uh, Elaine May, uh, yeah, that Dakota Johnson movie coming soon. Uh, oh, definitely going to happen. I uh, love it. John Singleton, sadly dead. John Carpenter retired but gives four interviews a week about yeah. how he loves video games and basketball and then people are like what do you think about horror movies he's like i don't know move on next next question and the guy's like okay do you like gears of war gears of war is so good and he talks for 10 years about he did that godzilla marathon on shout tv which cool. was pretty cool That's yeah cool. i mean he's yeah. cool to be clear Rules. jane campion made a new movie yes. but we, you know we ended on her ended yeah. on it <laughs> sam raimi's working on something new yes we heard it's a public knowledge yeah, the magic movie. Is that public? It is. It, it is. is. Okay. Uh, Sam, Sam Raimi is, by all accounts, remaking Magic, which is a 70s horror movie starring Anthony Hopkins about an evil ventriloquist dummy. Uh, and it is yes. very exciting just in that it it's is cool idea. a low-budget return right. to horror. Low-budget-ish. It sounded like a thing he started out developing as a producer and now has decided to take over as director. Right. Bob Fosse is directing a Dark Hawk movie for Marvel. <laughs> Uh, Stanley Kubrick is doing a reboot of the Real Steel franchise. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> Real Steel Revolution. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Steven Spielberg. Yes. Uh, Has stayed busy. And you we, know what? Even for how busy he stayed, he's been even a little less prolific in the five years since we covered him than he has been for most of his career. Pandemic certainly adds a space there. But I guess, but barely, honestly. He used to be a clockwork once a year, if not Two a year guy. He would do some. No, he would often be once gaps. a year, or he would if he did a header a back to back. Then he'd take. Then a he might time. like sure. take a year or two. But sure. them, the thing with him is he's in his what I like to call fuck it phase. Uh huh. Um, which like so we end on the BFG, which is him. I feel like still being like I'm Steven Spielberg. I make these kinds of movies. The BFG, like oh Steven Spielberg. It's about dreams. It's about children a little a little bit of the one for me one for them thing of like my tastes are maturing but every once in a while i should go back to the amblin well and make a classic spielberg movie since then i feel like he's been in his fuck it phase so yes. the post is like the one of the most fuck it movies where he's like i don't like donald trump i don't like this sort of like yeah you know anti-truth thing that's going on tom merrill 
want to knock one out? Right. Like, you know, a, a script lands on his desk on a Thursday. I'm in they're filming by Monday. Right. With America's I'm in post two most on Ready Player star. One. And yes. like they're, they're handling the Zemeckis yes. cube and all that. So right. like you, you guys want to just fuck around? God, that it's called the Zemeckis cube. Sure You're trying so hard to get me to rewatch Great Ready movie. Player One. And anytime you invoke any specific of the movie, it works against your I, I'm campaign. trying to write an article about Steven Spielberg right now. And uh-huh. Ready Player One is certainly a huge part of it. Because Ready Player One, obviously, is him being like, look at this world I've created. Hmm. Hell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh And then it ends with him being like, guys, I'm not going to, you can have it, but can you just like, just like maybe use it like twice a week? Yeah. Just go outside. Sometimes (laughs) kiss a lady. Sometimes. Um, Even if she's so horribly disfigured, but the thing that makes kiss me, a lady, the thing that happens all the time when yeah. I defend Ready Player One, a great I'm film. of course talking about Olivia Cook having a small Port Weinstein stain Disgusting. on her face, horrible. Yeah, uh, which what is she like now? What is it? It's um, what's the what you know, Suffocado or whatever the. Uh, Come on, this, the what, viral this clip is House, of, House of the Dragons. Yeah, press? She, you know, where, where she House goes, of the Land of the Dragons. Where, where Emma Darcy's like, I okay. like this drink, and uh, uh, Olivia Cook goes, "Oh, stunning!" She it's really great. Has one of the world's great accents. Yes, she does. Anyway, West Side Story. That felt like Spielberg being like, "I've never made a musical. I want to do it. I'm getting old. Like, and I want to remake one of my favorite movies. Fuck you." This is what's interesting. And the, the Fablemans is like, "My parents are dead. Time to talk about the darkest secret in my life." Now, when this movie and a million other things. gets announced, yeah. I think you and I, a lot of people went, fuck, is he retiring? This feels like the final film you make, right? And you and I said, do you think it's just that he wants to make it while he still has his fastball? Not that he's done, but it also, like, for the first time in a long time, there is not a clear next Spielberg movie on the horizon. Yeah. Even with the gap of West Side Story and that release getting delayed, Mm. Fablemans gets announced and is shooting before West Side Story comes out. Right, because it was once he... He begins work on the Fablemans once the pandemic begins. He's a guy yes. who's always like prepping one movie while he's posting the last. Cla- classically. And the sure. next one's filming before the, the previous one comes out. And now there are like a couple things he's sort of got loosely attached to, but it's even less than he usually flirts with and no clear next film. Sure. Do we? What is the thing he's working on right now? Do we know the most recent thing that was announced? Because Spielberg will just—I mean, he always has show interest. A in lot, a lot of, of things, things he's sort of right semi attached. The most to. recent thing I believe that was announced as an interest was the the bullet. Yeah, I don't want him to. Do that. I don't either. Or, but then again, he's in his fuck it phase, and I respect. He's in his it. fuck it phase, and he's like, I want to do something based off the books rather than remake the movie or whatever. But then you look at his IMDb and you look at the things that are like listed as in development. Yeah, yeah, yeah. IMDb, of course, not the most reliable yeah, it source. It sort of just throws everything in there. Yeah. They are mostly the things that he's abandoned at some point in the last 10 years. So there's the Pope movie. The Pope movie was the one that just they never seemed to be able to crack. Yeah. And it was so much that they couldn't find the right actor to play young Mark Rylance yeah. that they did this like nine-month search. Well, and then they they shrunk Mark Rylance using a time machine. But then and it was, that was hard to make him big again. They exactly. couldn't go back. It took forever. Question: What kind of pope was it? Uh, uh, of Rome, you know, Bishop well, of like, Rome. Is it old? Is it young? young is it bad? Oh, is it hot? small? Right. Big pope. That's just like that. Pope. Where it's like, uh, uh, like uh, we have a pope, uh, and then it's like, boom. <laughs> <laughs> One Pope, two Pope, red Pope, blue Pope. That's right. Green eggs and Pope. Yeah. Um, um, no, it's about a kidnapping of a Pope. 
Right. It's, it was called The Kidnapping of Edgardo Mortata. And no, I believe it was about uh, like a young Jewish boy who was kidnapped and raised as a Christian forcibly. Okay. It's about some like true 19th yes. century religious story. And I believe Rylance was going to play the so part. could do with Rylance and Oscar Isaac. Yeah. So and they couldn't cool. cast the kid. Yeah. And then uh, West Side Story ends up sort of leapfrogging it. Uh, and Wes, the thing with Spielberg is that it always feels like he has all these things on the burners. Yes. And then if something gets hot because he's Steven Spielberg, it can come together very quickly because he can attract the top talent. Yes. So he can get actors and that only helps you get everything else you need. Once he makes up his mind, the thing hits the ground right. And he has the most like um, committed, long-running set of collaborators mm-hmm. so he can just spool up quickly. Yes. Everyone yes. can start like you know pre-production yeah. everyone can start designing stuff and finding locations and getting ready he's he's a fucking machine but even like when i was looking at sex that, machine well we've remember when we used to do this remember when we used to when we picked a director we theorized what their sex life was like uh yeah why did we do that i don't know bad um so this movie you're like fuck is he winding down is this a final film is he stepping away uh he's been doing a lot of interviews recently for this movie and he said, like, pandemic hits. West Side Story is now going to get pushed a year. His whole family, all his children, his many children who had scattered to the ends of the earth, all come back, move back home. He's with his wife and his children all day. Mm-hmm. And he's like... Which sounds nice. I'm stir crazy. I like working. Yeah, he, Film's I, a collaborative social he, very, medium. He's, that's what he said. That's very interesting. He's like, I'm so social. And I'm yeah. always, like, in meetings. In planning, I'm always talking with people, collaborating. It's so fun for me. It makes me. sense and, like, that, that he was doesn't like these yeah. gaps in between movies. That he yeah. constantly wants to be in these conversations. Because if I were him, take I, it easy, take it take sleazy, it. <laughs> easy and sleazy. <laughs> I'd just be like, you know what? Deposit all the checks except for the ones I get for Transformers. I'm still rich. Oh, I'm gonna go live on an island. The Transformers checks for him are the Cash equivalent those. of Jay Leno not spending his Tonight exactly. Show money. Everything else, that's the nut. Transformers, day to day. Do you guys know the Universal Studios thing? No, I don't know anything you, about David, this. This is a what? quick anecdote you will like. Did this. you see him dissing Warner Brothers, by the way? He did yeah, that well, too. we're going to dig into all of this. Okay. Uh, when Universal decides to expand and become a direct competitor with Disney, not just a backlot tour of a full theme park, right? They're like, the biggest move we can make is locking in Spielberg. Several of the highest grossing films are Universal, Amblin, Spielberg movies. We want them in the park, but not only that, we want his endorsement. Yep. We want his sort of creative guidance. Right. Uh, Spielberg's contract is that he gets $20 million a year from Universal in perpetuity. Honestly, he probably deserves it. He yeah. probably makes nice them 10 times that amount of much money just on his catalog. Well, when they opened, it was like... <laughs> E.T. Forget the fucking right, Jaws, the rides and all that. Yeah, Jurassic, and now even as things have changed, it's like it's still Jurassic World, it's still Transformers, which he produced. There's so much of his shit there. Um, do you remember when he was going to make a movie called Robo Apocalypse? Really close to happening. Drew and Goddard, then Michael Bay, maybe took it over. Yeah, yeah. Drew Goddard script, yeah. uh, and it was uh, Anne Hathaway and Chris Hemsworth. I don't know. That's the thing. You look at IMDb now. And the in-development projects are mostly a graveyard of things he ended up not making that it feels like he's probably not going to circle back to. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. You know, he gave up uh, uh, Gershwin. To who? 
Well, uh, no, I'm sorry. He was there was Bernstein yeah. and Gershwin. He was both interested in. Jeez. He gives up Bernstein to Cooper, obviously, and then there was the Gershwin Zachary Quinto thing that was announced right after the first Star Trek movie comes mm, out. Never happens. Right. Never happens. Uh, doing Harvey with Tom Hanks. Don't do that. These are the thing, like these are the like sort of this seems too obvious kind of projects. But anyway, yeah. he is stuck at home. Yeah. He says, "I start taking like five hour drives because I need to get out of the house." Right. And I start going like, what do I do with my life now? What do I do? Is anything going to ever go back to normal? If I get to make a movie again, what do I want it to be? And basically starts asking himself the tough question, which is, if I only have one film left to make, what is it? Yeah, right. Not, I need to retire. Yeah, not I'm dying. But yeah, just yeah. like, this can all fall apart at any second. What's the one movie, if I can only tell one more story? And he's like, it's the thing I've been too afraid to make my entire life. My uh, entire career. Right. Uh, but also, look... He's not saying this, mm -hmm. but his 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 father died uh, fairly recent in 2020. Yeah, his mother died a couple years before. Then she mm -hmm. died in 2017, I think. Yeah. Um, he's not saying like once my father had passed away, I was finally sort of free to do this. But it is undeniable that his dad dies and he starts working on this movie pretty much right away. Also, there were different points. And his of dad time. died at the age of 103. By I know. the way, good Crazy. for his dad. Yeah, Damn. Arnold. Yeah. Those are good genes. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And and Spielberg has great denim as well. But um, the uh, I, I was reading, because at different points in time, this was announced as a thing that Spielberg was developing. His sister, Anne Spielberg, who's the Julia Butters character in this, basically, yeah. is a screenwriter, has written several films. True. At some point in the 90s or yes, the early... I can look it up. She right. wrote a script... I'll Be Home? Yes. Uh, that exists. Yes. And Tony Kushner talked about it in an interview I was just reading on the yeah. film stage um, where he said, like, both, she's a great writer and she's got, like, a lot of scripts that I feel like should be turned into movies that I've read. Uh -huh. um, but, and I've read that thing and it's good. I didn't know about it until we were, like, close to production. Sure. Um, but he, Kushner, and I believe this was, like, but I think it's better that I helped Stephen write this because he needed someone outside of the family to yes. kind of bounce things off of. Right. And for me to be like, that's interesting. That's less interesting or, you know, whatever. Like, you know. It, it makes a lot more sense. To be a, a therapist, essentially. Yes. 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 But there was that. There were other times that he'd be like, maybe one of the things I'm developing is based on my childhood. And he, at those times when those movies would not come to fruition, would say, I would get too hung up on imagining how it would make the other members of my family feel. So he has never said, I finally made the Fablemans because my dad died. But he did at different points say, I'm too afraid to make this movie because basically my parents are alive. You know? Um, right, 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 right. I don't um, know if I want to put my sisters through this again. Yeah, yeah, you know. And I don't know if I'll make my parents feel like and assholes. Like Spielberg has now been clear about this. The mm -hmm. ultimate, the, the sort of the most painful thing in this movie, mm -hmm. arguably, which is that he, not, look, we're spoiling the Fablemans, and obviously this film's in limited release right now. It's going to be wide soon. Yes, but we have to get into it. This is a movie that is made up of vignettes, and right. it's not plotty, and so we have to talk about yeah. scenes in detail. But um, but the 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 whole thing of like that he in his home movies essentially sort of saw this evidence of his mother being very close with mm -hmm. another man, and then confronted her and showed her and helped her understand yeah. that she was essentially in an emotional affair that she didn't even totally know was happening. All of that is true, and he has never that was like his dark secret. Yes. 
Like he and his mother truly were like, we're the only people who know about this. Not only that. Right. It was like, yeah, entirely right. secret conversations he had with his mother up until she died. Right. Um, but also that uh, the Spielberg divorce, the parents' divorce looms so large over his filmography, right? It's such a big thing. And I also think for so many people, the idea of what Spielberg actually experienced as a child was just combined with the fictionalizations of the divorce we see in the movies where people were like, well, I assume it was just like this. Whereas yeah. like he was not Elliot's age. You know, he was 10 years older when the parents finally got divorced. Sure. Um, right. It's not some exact thing. It's not a one-to-one. Right. right. You it's know, not these... a one-to-one, but I but... think the things converge in people's minds. When they did the documentary a couple years ago, the HBO Spielberg documentary, that was the first time he started talking about the fact that uh, it felt like the father abandoned the family. And what they found out when they got older was basically that he played the bad guy right. That's how to the, allow for the younger daughters to allow the mother to remarry the friend and not have the kids hate, hate him and her. He was like, this is a more stable family unit. I will be the one who is seen as ruining the marriage. Right. Well, um, what Spielberg, even at that point in time, was not willing to reveal was I knew what was going on. My mother and I would talk about it. But I think the sisters had that perception. Um, yeah, it it's the, that documentary is largely kind of whatever. Like I don't know how you feel about the documentary. Like it's interesting. Uh, that stuff. That that's stuff, the which stuff is sort of at the front of it, is right. the mut is the so interesting. And the there, you know, Anne and uh, no, not Anne. Anne's the sister. Sorry. Um, you know, uh, his parents, Leah, are, Le Leah, Lee, and yeah. um, uh, Arnold. Arnold. Yeah. are like together yes. and very sweet with each other. Yes. And it is this fascinating footage. I, my problem with the documentary was that it's so heavy on the first half of his career. Yeah. And it kind of yada yadas everything post-Oscar. Well, because we'd already done the miniseries. They knew what, who needs and to cover. And I was just watching it being like, yeah, I know that Harrison Ford had dysentery. Oh, I right. know, you know, like, and I was like, I want to hear about you making Minority Report in AI. Like, I want to yeah. hear about your weird post-Oscar feelings. BFG. There should be two hours on BFG. And that, you know, yes. the movie has to... Yes. Rush it somewhere. Yeah. Uh, no, it, it arguably could be longer. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, yes. All that's interesting. When he finally announces The Fablemans and I've seen that HBO documentary, I'm like, well, I understand the story he needs to tell. Because I think some people are like, fuck, he's going to make another movie about his parents' divorce, but now minus the metaphor. And I'm like, he has really obscured what the actual dynamic of his parents' divorce was. There's uh, a story sure. here that he is not told, even in a fragmented way. Uh, it sure seems that way. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm amped when this movie gets announced. As yep. you said, it very quickly comes together. Yeah. It's like suddenly, oh, he's finally fucking doing it, and they're filming. Uh, they announce uh, Dano, Rogan, Williams. They cast Unknown Kids. It's yep. off and running. Yeah. This movie has been such an exciting prospect to me for a year. Mm -hmm. um, our friend Jordan Hoffman saw it very early. He did, not to blow his spot, but he did for reasons I cannot remember. Some uh, feature or something. Being New yeah. York's top Jew? Th that maybe. Honestly, maybe. <laughs> honestly, maybe. Honestly, maybe. And like, fair. Uh, yeah, he sure is. But when we did our uh, 2001 episode with him. Yeah. Afterwards, Jordan and I went to see uh, 3,000 Years of Longing. That's right. And in the cab, I was like, can you tell me everything about the Fablemans? Uh, yeah, right, 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 right. Not like spoiler for me. No, no, but like, give me the vibe. Right. And he, I was like, so it's like a knockout, right? And he's like, look, I love it. It hit me yeah. very hard. 
I wonder if everyone will be able to relate to it. It's a lot sadder than people ex expect it to be. You know, I think it's emotional in a different way. The dynamics of play are very odd. And then he was sort of describing to me. I was like, God damn it, this sounds so fucking good, right? The response comes out of Toronto. It wins the People's Choice Award. It feels like this must be now the default front runner. Yeah. And then I feel like the recent wave of reviews has started to become a little more muted where they're like, this thing's good. It's not a knockout. People are now starting to like come for it in the way that any Oscar frontrunner starts it's getting It's inevitable. And also, questioned. it's a Steven Spielberg movie about himself. Right. Like, you know, there's going to be hostility. The last three Steven Spielberg movies that we've covered on this podcast, I liked to varying degrees, but mm. felt disappointed by all three of them. Right? Uh, West Side Story became a fight. I feel like you were two. fairly pro-post. I am, but I don't think it's like... I don't remember us really being... Bridge of Spies level. Well, what, what is? is? Yeah. Uh, I'm just saying. I was having that conversation with Bilger recently where yeah. he was like, Bridge of Spies. Now Fucking there's ripped. a movie. And there's I was like, my friend, you're not wrong. And it was like, oh, he's made a fucking dad movie. This is his like late period master stage. Like post had me really amped up. Yeah. I like the post. I have trouble with Ready Player One. Great I one. like West Side Story. I wished I loved it as much as everyone else did. There is that thing with, as you said, with Spielberg, the expectations are just so fucking high. The bar is so high with him where it's like, if you go see a Spielberg movie and you're not levitating, it feels like a disappointment. Uh, this right. is maybe my favorite movie I've seen in a couple of years. Wait, your favorite movie? The Fablemans. The, of any movies? I kind of think so. Wow. I was trying Wait. to compare the last time I felt this affected by a movie. Uh, Robert Zemeckis' Pinocchio? Oh, sorry. Okay, yeah, so uh, six weeks ago. <laughs> that is funny. Uh, um, my friend, have you forgotten... Uh, uh, Smile? Uh, uh, being the Ricardos? <laughs> okay, one year. <laughs> that magical night you met them and were them? Or, or they were themselves? <laughs> Look, it's been a weird couple of years, right? There right. was a lack of a theater going in in the middle of that. Right, right, right. right. Uh, and uh, I've gone through different emotional things. And uh, I, I felt, I talked about this with Ben. I haven't talked about this as much with you. Mm. But I've been in like a pretty bad depressive spot for the last handful of months that I'm yes. trying to work my way through. I mean, I'm aware of You're that. aware of this. Yeah. This is the thing I had not told you because I thought if I told you this, you would get unreasonably worried, perhaps fairly. I talked about this with Ben, but I was just like, movies are not hitting for me Oh, anymore. well, but I've gotten that vibe a little bit from you, though. And yeah. I certainly enjoy things, but I'm right. just like, it feels like the dosage is off, even when mm. I'm watching something that is great. Mm. Sure, sure, Whether sure. it's a new release or re-watching a fucking Kubrick masterpiece and That's been a this-year thing for you, because last yeah. year... No, 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 yeah. You, they were hitting for I was for so you. jazzed to be back in theaters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah, this yeah. year, I'm just like, the potency is off. Even the things I've enjoyed is with a ceiling. It was concerning. And Ben was truly like, that's that's the most uh, alarming thing I've ever heard you say. Yeah. That's like Dan Candyman not liking candy. Anymore. I didn't want to tell Wait, you. He does like, he likes flowers. Well, it candy Fucking runs, it's his family business. <laughs> Whatever. Jesus. This was, and, and I think it's a reason I was sort of, I struggled with West Side Story last year, is I was like, I want this to make me feel that way. And then when it didn't, which is a thing that is not the movie's fault necessarily, I was like, I can't say I love this uh -huh. because I wanted this movie to transport me. Mm. And this, I felt like this was a levitational movie experience for me. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, how one feels mm -hmm. 
just, you know, as a person. Yes. You know, it affects any film watching experience Absolutely. so much. It's so hard to just be like a, an objective movie evaluation yeah. machine, right? Yeah. Like, you know, it's you're always going to be like thinking about X that day and, you know, that week, that month, that year. You Absolutely. Know, like, and it's, but, yeah. but also movies have been my most uh, effective, consistent form of self-medication across my life. I know life. that. I know that. That's always been, if nothing else, yeah. you can just go fucking see, you know... Robert Zemeckis' Pinocchio. The best film of 2020. Take the edge off. Right. Yeah, 22. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yes, yes. And even seeing something crappy, just the experience of going through getting in my head a little bit, whatever. I was just like, even the crappy movies are not able to hold my attention as well anymore. And the mm. good movies I see, it feels like I'm like, oh, that's good. I appreciate it. It's not really hitting me at a bone deep level, even if I intellectually like am very Venom, stimulated. Like Carnage. Yes. Which is mostly an intellectual experience, that film. Right. Like a spiral, the book of Saw. Yeah. Right. I, I had, I, I would say I had a little bit of that experience with the Five Bloods during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. There are mm -hmm. some other movies I think are less perfect, but that were able to hit me specifically well, I feel like in emotional points. Worst person in the world kind of rattled you up. I'm trying to think of like that other... was cl that was close. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, that was what my number two last year. I don't remember. Friends Dispatch, which I loved. You loved that. But this, you loved Matrix. Uh, I loved Res no. I was Resurrection. That I was running through, especially <laughs> like with theatrical experience, the times I felt like the thing kind of lifted me out of the seat in the last couple of years. Right. Um. And, and yeah, the, those are the examples. Five Bloods, I had to watch at home. Think of ending things. Even as a flawed movie, Soul at times was able to cut through me in that kind of way. But this, I was just like so fully in love with what I was watching. And I am so eager to see it again. Uh, ben and I saw it together. Mm -hmm. David, you saw it at Toronto. I saw it at its world premiere. Spielberg, not a festival guy. Not usually. Um. Yeah, in fact, now, like, when was his... I mean, okay, he launched, like, Bridge of Spies at New York. Okay, was it a secret screening? No, 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 it was... It was, a it was, uh, it was that, you know, so, like... Okay. Uh, that, that movie premiered at the New York Film Festival. Uh -huh. West Side Story did not premiere at a festival. Mm -hmm. Ready Player One premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. No, at, at South by. At, right. It did yep. premiere at South yeah, by. Yeah. But, you know, it's a little... Mm -hmm. The Post, obviously, was kind of one of those, like end of year yes. like like this Rush is the last out. thing yes. critics will see before they vote on awards mm -hmm. or whatever the bfg premiered at can out of competition that is wild um you know uh, lincoln was a new york film so he'll do something like that to like throw a premiere out mm -hmm. but tiff tiff he'd never done had never done it i don't think yeah that's what i believe that's what he said when he came out and introduced yes. it yeah um, I saw this film at its world premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival at the Princess of Wales Theatre. Visa screening. Uh, I saw it. It was the same night as Glass Onion. Right. So, And they were both in the same theater. So mm -hmm. I literally went to see Glass Onion, mm -hmm. which itself is not short. Sure. You know, and is also like a big old movie, right? Uh, see that And it's movie. fun. You enjoy Very it. fun. Plays really bubbly, well with the crowd. Crowds sure. having fun. I'm right. looking at the back of Daniel Craig's head. You you're know. texting us. You're like, Glass Onion Rules going back in Fableman's That's now. the thing. And we I were ran like, out. what a fucking night. Right. I ran out. I went to A&W. Shout out. Okay. What's up? Uh, Which got, member of the burger family did you eat? No, I got a chicken. I like their chicken Ooh. sandwich. I forget what it's called. Chicken Cousin sister. chicken. <laughs> yeah. Like, they all, for some reason, they're all family members. I sat... Uh, on like King Street or whatever, mm -hmm. I ate it uh -huh. just on the sidewalk, wolfed it down. Yeah, because I was like, not only am I going to a, like a nine p.m. showing of the Fablemans, this movie is two and a half hours long. Two and a half bucks. 
Um, so I had that fear of like, am I just going to be too zonked for this? Yeah. Especially because like Glass Onion, jazzy, fun, mm-hmm. loud. Yes. Fablemans, I was, the my vibe of the Fablemans was definitely like, this is not going to be a roller coaster movie. No. Like, this is going to be a quieter film. Yes. But I was. Although they are developing a roller coaster at Universal as part of like, they have to justify $20 million a year. If you're paying him that much, you want to work his movies into You've the seen park. your mother talking to his, his yeah. your father's best friend. Oh! You drop suddenly. Um, now you're in the what do I do with my career yeah. uh, pool. <laughs> you're sort of spinning around. Um, but then I was just wrapped uh, yes. by the film. Yeah. Uh, I was I was I was very, very taken with it. Yeah. Um it my not to get too much into detail, but my mother's life. Mm-hmm. Is very my mother's family very similar situation happened? Yeah, where her mother left her father for a friend of the wow. family in wow. the early six, same age basically as Spielberg. Yeah. She's maybe a few years. When was Spielberg born? Forty six. So she's okay. like a few years younger than him. Yeah. Uh, so same era where like getting divorced was still like fairly surprising, uh-huh. unusual development. Uh-huh. You know, but although obviously like that's gener- generation that fucking invented divorce practically. Yeah, sure. Um, and that's the whole thing with Spielberg is the divorce guy. Is it's like he is a baby boomer, obviously, yes. right? Yes. But his audience is Gen X, yes. right? Like they, you know, his movies are coming out in the seventies mm-hmm. and eighties. These movies that are about divorce and Gen X—that's the fucking divorce this generation. Is the thing. All these kids are divorced. For are watching Spielberg's these movies, generation, right? divorce is a little rare, but then his audience is like the first major generation that really has to grow up with divorce as like a fifty-fifty odd. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, 100%. Look, yes. I uh, don't want to get into uh, personal uh, private family life stuff on this episode uh, mm-hmm. at all. Right. But I will say this movie hit me really fucking hard. Uh, yes, I understand. Yes. Um, so The Fablemans, we both liked it. I think it is a masterpiece. Yes. So how many buckets of popcorn? Ten. Out of how many? Twenty-five. <laughs> No, I don't know. I'm so I want to see a second time before I, I have a, a final rating. You, before you gave it buckets of popcorn. Yes. No, I understand. I understand. It's not a, a rating you can throw out lightly. I uh I, I've started using letterbox again, but I've been kind of loath to do the stars just because I feel like I want to free myself a little of having the the put the numbers on the things, you know? Yeah. Uh because I can sometimes feel like a prison of labels and ratings. Yes. Um, but I I loved this movie pretty fucking thoroughly uh there is that thing where i'm just like it's sort of what jordan warned me is like is this just so squarely targeted at hitting everything like am i just so absolutely the bullseye for this movie you know is my relation it's my response to this disproportion to what other people experience it's not unique i think you felt similarly some people have felt very similarly look your your reaction is the only reaction you got. So yes. like don't don't second guess it. But um, you know, like he's a filmmaker who's mattered so much to so many people. He's made these big movies mm-hmm. for like, you know, I think it's okay for lots of people to sort of be like thunderstruck by like him sharing, you know, his memories in this very like, you know, raw way. Yes. Um, and not too gauzy. This is not too gauzy a movie. No, because this is the other thing. I go to a wedding, I sit next to Brandon Hines, friend of the show, past and future guest. What's up, Brandon? He looked handsome as sure he did. Wearing a little fucking bow tie with a neatly trimmed mustache. He looked so goddamn good. Was galling. But I said, 
next week I get to see Fablemans. And right. he went, ugh, I am dreading that one. Because, I mean, the trailer does kind of make it look like this syrupy, treacly kind of like, movies, the magic of cinema, ah, to be a child. Let's say also, the poster sucks ass. The poster the poster's is... poster's pretty boring. Graphic design is I my I don't passion. know what the poster is for this movie, to be fair. Like, I'm not really sure what I would make it. I don't either. Maybe um, a little boy with two cameras for eyes. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah or yeah. a camera sticking out of his mouth, like a lens oh, sticking just camera out of his sticking mouth. out of everything. Wow. Yeah. This is bad. It's, it's so really boring. Bad. I mean, like, I. And it just looks like. I a get sh- the meaning that led to this poster. I, I get do it. I do too. It's very. And capture every moment is a. All of it. Is just a feels, fairly bland sort and, of. And yeah. we've talked a lot about there's been this wave of the last 10 years of it feels like certain master filmmakers of a certain ilk being like, cracks knuckles. It is time to tell you about my childhood. Yeah, and it's interesting that this movie's coming out like the same time as Armageddon Time, yes. like which is a, a, a different kind of movie. Yeah. But like uh The run of, know, of Tree of Life, Roma, Belfast. I feel like there are four or five Bardo. other examples I'm forgetting. Which one do you say? Bardo. Bardo. Uh yeah, no, there's well, that's, but, you know look, those are movies about uh filmmakers finally digging into their childhood and what made them a filmmaker. Bardo is a really brave story about how terrible it is to win best to best back to back best, best director Oscars, Oscars yeah, and yeah. The existential malaise it you know, puts you This through. year, there's a, like After Sun. There's, you know, another Joanna yeah. Hogg movie that's a very personal sure. tale. You know, like there's a lot of movies that feel like they're like filmmakers drawing from their, yeah. you know. Like, I guess I'm talking more about the like, because I, I think I put Moonlight in the After Sun souvenir category. The, the Tree of Life, Belfast, this thing, it's like very famous filmmakers yeah. being like, here is my origin story. Right. I know you've all wondered. Right. Yeah. And they all have this sort of they're not plot driven. They're sort of memoir films. Right. They're vignette. They're these little glimpses, you know, and uh, here are the dynamics. Here are the, the relationships. Here are the moments that changed the way I viewed the world. Right. A thing I find incredibly interesting about this movie is yeah. like, A, there is this very weird, specific, gnarled dynamic at play that is very unique mm-hmm. in the family situation. Mm-hmm. But B, I think what many people feared this movie would be is just like, right, the magic of movies. Half the movie is just wide-eyed Spielberg analog sitting at the theater giving the Spielberg look, which to be fair is the opening shot of this film, basically. We'll talk about it. Yeah. um, All the movies that affected his life, him becoming a master filmmaker, whatever. Right. What I find so fascinating about this movie is it really feels like it is about a savant who does not understand the power that he wields. Well, okay, okay. That, I'm not that's, sure I agree with that, but That's okay. so much of the movie is mm-hmm. like, not that he comes out of the gate and he's brilliant, but mm-hmm. that everyone is like, how did you do that? You have this natural mm-hmm. facility to think through these things and figure out how to put these things on screen or whatever. And everyone around him is so emotionally affected by him doing this in one way or another. Right. And he does not understand it. It is an organic thing for him. It is how he knows how to express himself. Yes. He's not this bleeding heart artist. He's very pragmatic about getting stuff done. We're going to talk about and it. And then everyone around him is whipped into a frenzy in one way or another. And I think so much of the journey of this movie is not just him working through his family shit, which is basically, you're never going to finish working through this, but you coming to understand your parents are human beings. They are not just your parents. They are human beings with complicated, messy lives that you will never fully understand. And at some point they will become more contemporaries to you. And you will still try to work on those relationships. But also the end of the movie basically is him being like, I now need to figure out how to use the ability I have in a purposeful way. Because there's a lot of power sure. to what you can do with a movie. 
and how it can affect people around you. Yeah, that's all true. That hit me really hard. Mm-hmm. Ben, do you want to throw any basic yeah, ben, thoughts what before was your we reaction? dig into the... I really enjoyed it. It's such a lovely movie. It's nice to just like see a great story about characters who aren't fucking superheroes or... Well, I mean, he is a superhero. I mean, he has the he has power. Power of, of uh, cinema. Cinema. Right, yeah. there you go. Super cinema man. Yeah. Uh, what I was very excited by, because I love old technology, is that throughout the film, mm. they're they're shooting and using like old technology. And, and he's not, like and not editing on an editing bay uh-huh. yeah, and all that all stuff. That and like, you know, Spielberg tactile, was certainly... Yeah exacting about like well this is the camera i used at that time and like we need to get all these things and right you know did you see the credit at the end of the film where they do the little kodak stamp that they always put on if sure. a movie shot on on kodak film right and it says kodak shot on super eight hell yeah 16 I did not see and 35 millimeter no because you know i saw this film in a fucking premiere yeah it was midnight yeah credits start rolling and i you know people yeah, are hooting and hollering i want to that's why i do i do would like to see it again and like yeah uh, soak it in um but i remember it I having seen it two months ago, I remember it. It's fairly burned on the brain. Yeah. Um, and uh I thought it was good. And I'm gonna give it four bags of popcorn. Great. Out of 25. Okay. And the um, episode's over. Can you just hit stop? I just have one quick Record question. Post. Is the popcorn right now. <laughs> extra butter? Hmm? Have you ever established what the butter kind of called? Oh, I'm sorry, I should clarify. Mine is Cheetos popcorn. Oh, very nice. Thank you. Mine's a churro popcorn. You can get that at Alamo Draft House. Mm. I know, disgusting. <laughs> Ehrlich got it when we went to see Tar. Yeah. And I was like, ew. <laughs> they they like, have the Elote street me. corn, which is very good. That one's, well, because, it, it, you know, spicy is fun. You sure. know, a little savory. I don't need sweet. I don't need a sugar well, bomb. Well, I was just in Europe, and in both London and Paris, if you go to a movie theater, they the will say, is sweet. do you want salty or sweet? I'm sorry, what? Yeah. yeah but, salty popcorn, it, sweet popcorn. But if the default is sweet. And it sucks. And I, you know what I do? You mix it. I mix you know, it a up. A lot of people mix it. I hate it. I hate that. But and that's why you bomb. left and you'll never go back. Honestly, maybe. Number one reason. <laughs> Might be the number one reason. It was yes. your Brexit. It's like how in Italy, when you ask for water, like the default is sparkling water, which oh, I love. I do too. Um, in Britain, like the default popcorn is, you, you have to be like, specify yeah. like salty popcorn, please. Yeah, um, it's like, like in, okay. In Canada, if you ask I think for we got water, it in the back here. Hmm? In Canada, if you ask for water, they give you a pint glass of maple syrup. You have to be like, no American water. I'm sorry, uh, American we're, water. We're done though. Episode. Yeah, over. we're done. Yeah, okay, uh, and if you could just post it immediately, <laughs> immediately. <laughs> we know it's a uh, a Thursday, <laughs> two weeks before this episode's supposed to come out. <laughs> yeah, we're uh, actually Griffin's live. About so, to, yeah, yeah, we're live right yeah. now. Griffin's yeah. about to go shoot a movie. I'm or should I not say that? You can say that. Okay. I'm not saying what the movie is just because uh, world independent It's the Fableman's 2. It's the Fableman's 2. <laughs> Sammy's back. Sammy's back. Sammy's revenge. This film yes. is about a little Jewish family mm-hmm. called the Fablemans. Yes. Uh, they are Sammy, mm-hmm. little Sammy, played by Matteo Francis DeFord as a young boy. Keep and going. Is Aren't there five more names? Matteo Zorion Francis DeFord. He I don't want to make fun of anyone. Me sound simple. <laughs> He's got a very cute little face. Yeah. And Gabriel LaBelle as a teenager who really looks like uh, young Spielberg, like really, yes. really is a bit of a ringer for like when you see pictures of baby yeah. Spielberg. Especially he's he's got the same schnoz. Uh, he is incredibly good in this movie. Uh, he's excellent. I agree. He's excellent. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and really especially like because it's like a character that 
doesn't really start to take control of the narrative. Or should I say, the performance does not really require him to take control of the narrative until like the last third of the movie, maybe. Uh, yeah. You have yeah. a good chunk with the kid, and then I feel like for a lot of the movie, even though we're kind of seeing things through Sammy's eyes, he's a very passive character. He's an observer. The parents are driving the scenes more. You know? Um, it's only the last third that Sammy starts really sort of, uh, I don't know, driving the scenes himself. That's true. I mean, he also puts down the camera for a bit, and that kind of puts him... Yeah. Yeah, we can, you know. Uh, all right. His mother, Mitzi. Uh-huh. Played by... Played by Michelle Williams. Five-time nominee at this point? Four, I think. She's going to lose again. Um, one of the most strange decisions David, here's the from thing. From an Oscar perspective, that's all. Four, Four-time nominee. Okay. Uh, Blue Valentine, mm-hmm. Brokeback Mountain, mm-hmm. My Week with Marilyn, Manchester. Uh, correct. Manchester's the one it, it feels like she should have won. Yeah, as she didn't she who did she lose to? Because that's the moonlight year. She lost to Viola Davis for fences. Oh, it was one of those oh. things where they were like, shit, we, we fucked up not giving it to Viola two years ago. Sorry, we have to give it to but Viola here, was, and also kind of category for that's the thing. She got fucked you know. by the up because I think she was seen as the de facto front runner. Then they announced that they were running Viola and supporting, even right. though she had won the Tony for best lead. Yeah. And then it was like her Oscar campaign's over. It really was. Viola sweeping. She's not going to win a single thing. Uh, This year, they're now sort of doing the opposite thing to Williams. Although I would argue this is a lead performance, just strategically, it is a bad move for them. I think the kid's the lead of this movie. The movie is being told through his perspective almost entirely. I think everyone else is supporting. I I think this movie has three leads. Yeah. And I think they are Gabriel LaBelle, Paul Dano, and Michelle Williams. I mean, I, I just don't. I think it's just the kid. Everyone else is supporting. You just don't. There's just not really scenes from Mitzi's perspective in this movie at all. Uh, No, but I also, I, I they are driving most of the film. I mean, yeah, this is, this but... is a complicated thing that we've talked about before. But it is this thing where, like, so many movies of this size really only have one female character of prominence, right? Sure. So it becomes this question of, like, well, whereas there's clearly a one male lead and then everyone else is in support of that male lead, often the female lead of a film could still be considered supporting the male lead. Yeah. And so often the nominees in Best Lead Actress are movies where it's like, this is a character study of this one woman. It is rare that you get like the Felicity Jones nomination where it's like, you are Stephen Hawking's wife and we are considering you the co-lead of the movie, right. which is fair. She more, is absolutely correct. in that movie. Right? But more yeah. often you have the Elisa Vikander thing where it's like, you are the lead of this movie and they are now arguing that you are in support to Eddie but, Redmayne. But they have put Dano in supporting. Which I think is wrong. No, it's right. They're both, everyone is supporting in this movie. I think, except for, I think like Hirsch and. Uh, something that annoyed me was that someone on the internet who I shall not name, mm. but who is connected to this movie, okay. uh, said that Michelle Williams had like stopwatch more time in this movie than she did in My Week with Ireland, where she was nominated for yes. Best Lead Actor. Uh-huh. That movie is an hour shorter than this movie. Stop watching is stupid. Stop telling me how many minutes someone is sure. on screen. This movie is 151 minutes long. I still think she's. The lead at the moment. I can hear the argument. It's not like one of those things where I'm like outrageous. Yeah. But I just, I don't, I don't know. Anyway, I just think the kid's the lead. It's about him. Sammy Fableman. I think, I think a film could have multiple leads. It could have a male and a female lead. Yeah. And I, it can. It's Sam, yeah. by the way. Sammy. Yeah. He, well, he corrects everybody. Yeah, I know. Um, um, do you think he was Stevie? Like, is that, a, I wonder if that's like I was. A, I was doing the math in my head of, was it Stevie versus Steve or Steven? Yeah. I but wonder. it must have been. You were always, you never had any. You're Griffin. Griff. Griff, of course. Yeah. 
I you always hated Benny. Benny's tough. Benny's I just tough. think about it because I was never Dave. Were you ever Davey? Not really. Maybe like a little bit. No. The other math I was trying to do watching it is they they call when uh, anti-Semitism is on the rise. Another thing in this movie that I found very hard to relate to through a present day lens of my own experience. Uh, the, the kids mock him at school by calling him a bagel man. Yes. And I'm like, were they calling him Spiel Bagel? Uh, possibly. Possibly. Yes. He said that he only had one bully. Yeah. That the second bully is invented. Right. Uh, and, but, but that much like that in that this was, movie, they, was, you know. he only experienced anti-Semitism once they moved to California. Uh, yeah. Which he was like, in Arizona, I did feel like we are weird that we are Jewish, but there yeah. was never any... Part of it's also maybe just teen years. It's yeah, maybe, but also that it's like in the movie, it's sort of specifies in Arizona. He had a lot of like um, Hispanic friends yes. that maybe it was just a little more of a genuine melting pot because yeah. Arizona in the 60s is like still like a, a growing st- Like It's the last state admitted until Alaska and Hawaii. I think there'll ever be a 51. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yes. In our lifetime, for yeah. sure. Yeah, probably Puerto Rico and That's Washington, D.C. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. So well, there'll probably be two obvious ones. Yeah. yeah. It'll have that. I think that will happen eventually. I know yeah. it's now become a like insane device. By the time this episode issue. comes out, yeah, it's going to happen actually uh, tomorrow. Two weeks. Um, yeah, and we're going to have to fucking reprint all the flags. No. <sighs> um, okay. So uh, where do Sammy, you put the stars? Uh, you just you, start a new line. Yeah, that <laughs> would be funny. <laughs> but he, <laughs> you do the thing where you offset him some hesitation yeah. as well or whatever. Yeah. Uh, um, he he. All the interviews and profiles he's been doing for this movie have been fascinating. And he's also been talking a lot about his opinions on the state of uh, the film industry and the medium and and the culture around it and all this sort of stuff. And even saying, like, these are things I would not have said two years ago. Like, the pandemic has kind of changed me where I now am not even thinking strategically about my status as the elder statesman of America cinema. It's sort of the most populist figure of yeah. filmmaking. I'm just giving you my honest answers, my fears, and my beliefs on these things. Um, but he, all those pieces I highly recommend reading the A.O. Scott interview that uh, ran the New York times is particularly good, but he was saying, uh, they were like, it's surprising that you experienced more anti-Semitism when you went to California. And he was just like, there's a big difference between California and Hollywood. Yeah. There's a big difference between California and the film industry. I did not experience anti-Semitism in the film industry. No. Uh, but you can feel a far ways away. And I feel like there are a lot of other filmmakers uh, who grew up in California where you're like, oh, you grew up around the movies. And they're like, I grew up in a very different part of California. Hollywood felt as far away as if it was on the other side of the country. You do feel that when they get to California, this part of the movie where it's like, he doesn't feel closer to the film. Not at all. It's not like he comes over the hills and we're like seeing You're palm there. trees and right. the Hollywood sign or whatever. He lived in a, sorry, I wanted to, um, where was it? Saratoga, California, mm. which is in, uh, basically these days you would call it the Silicon Valley. Cause like, okay. that's the idea. His dad's a computer yeah. engineer. Like that's where he's, uh, so it's in Santa Clara County, but yeah, it's like, you're, you know, many hours from LA. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I don't, look, I don't know the history of California that well, but yeah, in the sixties, yeah, there's less, it's different. It's very different from what it it's would be different. today. Yes. Um, opening of this movie. Uh, the opening of this movie uh, is Steven Spielberg walks on stage and he says, "Like F is for 
friend and A is, I don't know what I'm doing. The opening of this movie is Sammy and his parents go to see The Greatest Show on Earth. Do you start in the car or do you start on the corner outside? I believe you start in the car because the mom's kind of prepping him for like, right. you know, like what the movie the movie's going to be like. But there's this very deliberate choice of you, you do, you are framing it from the level of the kid, from little Sammy for these first two little bits where the parents' heads are cut off. They are abstracted like Charlie Brown adults. Yep, sure. And they are talking like... But, it, but it's like you set up the whole dynamic. Much in the way the Tree of Life is Malik being like, my two parents represent my, the two sides of my mm. voice as a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. My mother was a woman of nature. My father was a man of anger and brutality. Right? Right, right, right. right. And in this, it's like his dad is this loving yes but very like thoughtful and quiet and analytical person yes who like is just very logical yes and very cool-headed right and his mother is this like fucking babbling brook of a person who's like artistic and constrained unstructured emotional uh, impulsive. yeah right yes and that vibe is present pretty much immediately and the like, opening of this movie the whole like it's it's one of these things where it's like the beginning is the whole movie in the nutshell the ending is the whole movie in a nutshell right like there's so many scenes in this film that also function as a microcosm of the entire movie but here it is, this kid stuck between two adults trying to explain to him what a movie is. He's about to see a movie for the first time in a theater, and he cannot even understand what the concept is. Right. You don't hear him ask the question. You start the film with them mid-explanation, and her explanation is like, it's a dream that you never wake up from, but it's not like a bad dream. It's a good dream. And he's like, there's a man in a booth. Mm-hmm. There is a device yep. that has a he's, really strong he's light bulb. Talking, he's fucking JD Amatoing it. He's talking about persistence of he's vision. Talking he's talking about, vision. you know, 24 frames per second, right. all this stuff. Yeah. You go to the street outside, you see that it's the greatest show on earth, the Cecil B. DeMille movie. Yeah. And they're still arguing about is he ready for this? Is it too young? What what is this gonna be? Whatever. They're cut off. I think the first time you see their faces, I don't remember if the camera tilts up at that point or if you see them only when you cut into the theater. But yeah. immediately, it's just like this kid is entranced, right? He is, but... But it also doesn't feel like, let me say, Belfast, where it feels like every shot of the kid uh, feels underlined with, this is the most important moment of my entire life. The, the, the whole fear I had of this movie yes. is the whole fear you have with any of these movies where it's like John Lennon sees a guitar and it's mm -hmm. like, oh... Oh, fancy me one of those, yeah. you know, and you're like, okay, you know, like he and, steps on a beetle, looks at the bottom of his shoe. <laughs> I wish I would have right. met him. Mick Jagger sees a rock rolling down the hill. <laughs> <laughs> um, he stings his lips. Yeah, right. Looks uh, in the mirror. Maybe I should keep it this way. Yeah, John Bonham has lead poisoning and then sees the Hindenburg on TV. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep doing band he names. Keeps eating sushi. <laughs> right. While watching the Hindenburg disaster. Roy Davies has a kink in his In his neck pants. he does. In his, <laughs> hose. In his garden hose. In his garden, in his garden, in his garden hose, hose. Yeah. yes. Uh, well, can't, yeah. He can't water his plants. He can't. Um, I'll say this, Griffin. I yeah. don't know if you had this opinion. Uh -huh. I've never seen The Greatest Show on I have not either. It is a best... I've seen most Best Picture winners, and uh -huh. that's one of the ones I've never seen because it's one of those like super long Cecil B. DeMille movies where you're like, oh... Aren't those things kind of like bloated and, and all about spectacle? And I also feel like it gets and... lumped into that like around the world 90 yeah. days thing where you're like, this is like a frothy, silly movie that just was the most movie that year. And they gave it best picture out of like 
celebrate the industry, celebrate the jobs that created. But does anyone actually think this is a great movie? Yes. And uh, I just got to say the clip they show, which is this train crash. Yeah. I was like, God damn, this got to watch this fucking thing. Like, I want to see this thing tomorrow. But what I like Cameron is, Bailey programming a tip. I'll go. Like what I like is that this opening scene is setting up this dynamic of like Arnold being this worry word being like, I think he's too young. He's not going to understand what's happening. This is going to scar him. Right. Yeah. And you're like, how silly to think that perhaps Steven Spielberg wasn't ready to watch a movie, Mr. Movies himself. Yeah. And he cut to this kid and you're like, oh, the movie fucked him up. That's what loved. That's when I was like, okay, I'm leaning in. We're dealing with a much more interesting thing here yep. because he starts making these little movies to recreate what he saw. And his look up at the screen, it's like he's in awe of this thing, but it also feels like it's confusion. It's he is overwhelmed. And then once the crash happens, it is fear. And then you have this amazing cut back to the car and the kids like frozen like he yes. just came out of Vietnam. Uh, yes. And the parents are arguing. I told you. I told you. I told you. Uh, right. And he's got this little model train, model train set. Another mm -hmm. very like, uh, you know, techie gift that his dad is, you know, interested in. For Hanukkah every night they give him a new car. Which is cool. And on the final night, they give him the little, uh, whatever you call it, not the remote, but the, the little switch. Yeah. The, yeah. You know. He's finally got the full kit. I thought of you. I mean, I, I never had a model train set, partly because I lived in the city and we didn't have like a house with like a big, because they take up space. Yes. Yes. I had like Brios, right? I had other, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. Thomas. Little toy trains. Well, Thomas. I had a Thomas trains. Brio set, I think. Oh, yeah. That was maybe more James's. Yep. But I never had like, you know, the classic, like with an electric A Lionel. Current. Yes. Uh, they do seem very cool. It's also one of these generational things where it's like a lot of the guys who grew up with the train sets never got over it. Like like Frank Sinatra, there were like photo shoots of him in his little conductor I outfit with his little hat in his basement with the full Lionel set when he's like 80. Right. Weird. Like ring-a-ding-ding. Ring-a-ding-ding. Like the coolest man in the world. And he's like, let me go fire up some trains. <laughs> like he could... I think it was such a seminal thing for a lot of these guys, the train set. Yeah. Um, and I say just, this as a man who lives in a fucking apartment full of toys, but go on. Yeah. Um, but you don't have a train set. I don't, because um, I'm a big boy. You're a big boy. Um, his mother is <laughs> the one. His mother is the one who realizes it. Like he yeah. is trying to emotionally process. Yes. Uh, this sort of like somewhat scary thing he saw. Right. By filming it over and over again and kind of like exerting control over it. You know, like well, uh, like, translating it. He yeah. first crashes the train on his own. Yes. And then they're like, you almost broke this. And right. then she realizes you need to gain control of this. Right. I'm giving you the camera. Yes. The camera's the next step of like, I think if you understand that this is how that was made. Which I think it's like the camera they already have, right? Because the dad is using it at Christmas. I mean, at Hanukkah, yeah, right? Like he's, yeah. And also there's the great thing very early on where the kids are complaining that their house has no Christmas lights because they're Jews. Yes. Uh, which I love. I also early uh, on turned to Ben and when Jeannie Berlin's on screen and I go, that's fucking Jeannie Berlin. And I saw his mind yeah. blown. She's really good in this. You wish she was in it more, but yeah. Uh, sure. Well, um, and, uh, and I was just so interested mm -hmm. by Spielberg taking us into this kid's story that way. Yes. Not like, I saw movies and it was a thunderbolt for me to want to make movies. Right. And it's more like, no, movies like got to me so intensely yes. that I had to work through it by making movies. And not only that, that it's like, you cut, she's sort of like, we'll make this, it's our little secret movie. Yeah. Right? Then you cut to them watching it. 
And she's like, that's impressive. And right. he's like, took a lot of takes to get it right. Right. right and right, you're right. like, oh, that's the weird combination of the dad thing that he does have this mind about, like, you have to work on something until right. you get it perfect. You have to, like, R&D it. And already there's this weird compulsive behavior of, like, well, it's not looking right because I don't have animals in the trains. Let me pull the animals out of my other toy and put them in the train cars. Let me figure out the angles and whatever. There is this savant aspect. It's this thing everyone talks about with Spielberg where they're just like, this guy thinks cinematically. He was pretty much fully formed by the time he was 20 and then only got better. It does not feel like there was really a learning curve with him. He would just look at things and go like, why doesn't this look better? And he would read a script and understand immediately how to translate that into images without needing to think it through, really. You know? um, yeah, he was the classic, right? Like, put the camera there, put the camera there. I know exactly yeah. what we're doing. Like, I'm 20 years old. Welcome to Colombo. Right. Know? So yeah. you don't get the sense in this moment of the kid loves making movies. He's found his hobby. You just feel like this has helped him conquer this thing. And also he's weirdly good at this thing. His mother also mm -hmm. is just giving, providing him the space to do this without being ashamed of it or whatever. like you know yeah. she's trying to give him the artistic space yeah. she feels she lacks yes right like or like that she has been had to sacrifice by, by becoming a mother and a housewife mm -hmm. in 1950s america yes. right like you know it's like well my children she's not you know it feels uh the dad bert he's called bert in the movie bert is not like the kind of dad who's like you cannot do this. You no. must like do your math homework because you will be an engineer. Like, but he certainly is less, he has less like emotional awareness of like why it might be fun to do like make movies, right? He's like supportive. He's of supportive. The idea she's going to go on TV and play piano. But it's also like, what a fun thing for you to do one time. There's that kind of energy of like how yeah. exciting. Yes. So it's, yeah, it's like, I appreciate that he is not some like cartoon disciplinarian dad. No. And she is not some, you know, just sort of like endlessly perfect angel mother. Because no. Lord knows, you've mentioned the tree of life a couple of times. We should probably yeah. stop mentioning it because this movie is so different from it. But, but it's interesting. The mom in that movie yes. is, I mean, is an angel. She is she's mother like nature. literally she mother, is, mother right, nature. Right. Right, uh, right. And she's played by Jessica Chastain. She's always drinking Diet Coke. She's got crazy nails. <laughs> I'm conflating two performances. Very funny. And uh, <laughs> uh, and in this, it's like Mitzi, you pretty quickly, you're like, this is a person. This is a lot of person. This is like a, a person who feels a little borderline. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is just like a really day-to-day -day kind of person where you're yeah. like, this must be such a fun person to be around but not all the time. David, I can save us a lot of time. Go For the ahead. second time in two weeks, I have to invoke the one thing that sums up this dynamic perfectly. They're a real Dharma and Greg. Uh, yeah, there you go. One of them's always putting on his suit and tie. Absolutely. And, and the other, other one's one... reading a book about Buddhism. Upside down. <laughs> right. She's got a flower in her hair. <laughs> Flowers don't go in here, they go in pots. But this is what's so funny is like they don't have this oil and vinegar relationship. It doesn't feel like either one's being shitty to the other one. Yeah. It does just feel like there are fundamental things that they do not know how to communicate to each other. They both respect each other. Yeah. Right? They're both like very impressed. That's what I mean. It's with like, the other. He's not dismissive at all. Of the fact that she's, you know, artistic. That and she, she is, neither is she of the computer she's very, stuff. No, he's a very impressive person. But they do feel kind of like in separate bubbles well, a little bit. And there's the incredible moments 
I think it's the introducing uh, introduction. It's the introduction. It's the introduction of the Rogan character. Seth Rogan playing Benny. Uncle Benny. Uncle Benny, who is not their uncle. An honorific. But he is he is Bert's best friend and coworker. Right. And and he is he works with him at the computer. Basically the fun dad. He's it very much feels like he's an adjunct parent. He is joining them on the thing. Sometimes he's taking more a role of being the big brother to the kids. Sometimes it does feel like he is picking up the extra slack. But he's also just like the guy who's like, loosen up, Bert. You yeah. know, like, ah, you old workaholic. But he also maybe focuses her a little bit. Like, well, he's sort sure. of this in-between for the two of them. What I love about this performance by Seth Rogen. Very well cast. Who is very well cast. Yes. Is that he's not that funny. Correct. He's Because I was like, oh, he's going to be Seth Rogen. And I, I'm curious to see if people view this as a failure on his part. Because I similarly not. think it is a strength of the movie. He's a regular guy. Yes. He's a little fun. He's a little fun. He tells jokes, but they're like dad jokes that you're yeah. sort of like, okay. Right. He's not like, because the whole thing with Seth Rogen, obviously, is he's so charming. And that's how he's become this he's, like unconventional movie he's star. He's Uncle and, Buck. He's yeah. not. Right. He's just like a bit chiller yeah. and a bit more fun yes. than Bert, who's a little tightly wound and a little like obsessive. This moment at the He's a very rational alternative, yes. not some like extreme alternative. This moment at the dinner. Right, because it's they get the film back from the train. Yep. Sure. It's I think final night of Hanukkah, maybe. Yeah, I can't. I don't or whatever dinner it is. You right? just saw the movie. I don't remember the yeah. exact. She puts the dinner, the the film reel in the apron. The kid is just dying to go watch it, project it in the closet, right? And he's just sitting here at dinner, like fucking white knuckling it, waiting for it to be over, watching his dad try to explain to the rest of the family, including Jeannie Berlin. Her mom is played by, I always forget this actress's name, who's so good. I love her. And her uh, name is it, Robin Bartlett. Right. She, of course, uh, was uh, uh, in Inside Lewin Davis and a thousand other things. Uh, yeah, well, she's on. Uh, I feel like um, she's gorgeous. Mad about you. She yes. was. Uh, she was the someone's mom, right? Sure. Or, I can't remember. Yeah. Um, but oh, no, she was the sister, the the lesbian oh, sister. Sure. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, she's a great actress. Great actress. Um, but this full family dinner that that Benny is invited to, and uh, Dano's character is trying to explain the breakthrough they just made in the technology. He's like this huge thing. Th these advancements. Here's what's now possible because of this new device. Yada, yada, yada. And he's speaking in Greek to everyone at the table, right? Yeah. And she's sort of glowing. Like, she can tell it's exciting. She's impressed by how intelligent her husband is. And then Benny, in like two sentences, puts it in layman's terms. Right. Whatever analogy he comes up with. He's like, it's imagine it's a mailbox and now we have the key. Yes. Right? Yes. And her response is, I love your brain, and I love it even more when he's able to translate it to right, me. Right, right, I'm probably right, fucking right. up the exact but verbiage that's the thing, of this yes, line, but it's, thing. it's not like, finally, someone's speaking my language. It's like, he's a conduit to understanding the man she does truly love, yeah. but cannot he's understand. He's the turnkey for her sometimes, and that's, yes. he's an elemental part of their relationship, and yes. like... None of them even totally get that. And the whole family dynamic. He's elemental to all of them, where once they announce we have to move... Yeah, there's a new job on the horizon. The first question of, from everybody is, "What about Benny?" Now, here's the thing about Seth Rogen in this movie: mm -hmm. looking like a fucking snack. He looks oh, good. he's foxaholic, huh? He looks good in this movie. This era of Rogen, like he's been like, I feel like his like fashion game, yeah, is like he's just looking so 
good these he days. Looks good. He yeah, he does. He's actually you're right. He's his uh his current like sort of like I'm a fairly chill guy on Twitter who does pottery mm-hmm. and yes. like like he's got a whole good vibe right now. Yeah. Kind of a sexy vibe. He also is one of these guys who's quietly become a mogul without doing any of the things that we find unbearable when we talk about these guys becoming moguls because uh-huh. it does feel purely driven by the shit he likes. Right. It's like, I'm now selling weed and pottery because I like doing this. Right. We now produce a bunch of projects. They are all things that we're clearly big fans of and are using our cloud to help get made. Right. It doesn't feel like he's investing in tech companies and shit. You know? Yeah. Um, But also, like, Seth Rogen always seemed like he was 40. (laughs) A little bit. Sure. He was, like, the youngest cast member on Freaks and Geeks, and you were like, why'd they cast this one 30-year-old? And you were like, he's younger than the geeks. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. He was like, yes, you're right. Right? There's, like, that whole thing. And then even in 40-Year-Old Virgin, Kevin Smith talks about seeing that movie and being like, who's this amazing 45-year-old character actor I've never seen before? Yeah. Where's this guy been? It's like, he's 22. He was on two failed TV shows. He's now just turned 40, I think. And it does feel like, talking about him looking good, he's, like, hit the age he was always meant to be. He's really in a good spot. He's in a good spot. And yet, how many movies has he made recently? Well, he's pretty, He because he does so many other things, he's pretty selective about what he chooses to do. Like, Longshot American Pickle were his first two vehicles in a while. You know what? He's really good in American Pickle. That I movie almost is gave fun. him a fucking nomination that, that year. fun. That movie is fun. He's, he's kind of incredibly he's good He's Donkey Kong in, a, uh, in the Mario Brothers he stole, movie. stole the role from Russell. Uh, yeah, he did. Um, yeah, so he's great in this movie. Mm-hmm. I've re- I read some interview with him where he sort of talked about, like, I initially was kind of going for more of a Seth Rogen thing. Like, I yeah. was being a little more funny and garrulous and improv and mm-hmm. they were like, Seth? Take it No, down. no, no. Yeah. Yes. And he was like, okay. Um, so Seth Rogen is the best friend, Benny. Um, and the first chunk of the movie when he's little, what are some other things that, I mean, the whole big thing obviously is that they live in New Jersey, but they move to Arizona Mm -hmm. for this career opportunity. They're uprooting Mitzi's life. Yes. Uh, and the kids lives, but the kids are fairly small. And the immediate, Mitzi maybe has just had a baby or is about to, uh, because there's three sisters, obviously. Yes. Yes. And the big thing is what about Benny? Yes. And it's like, right. Like Benny is basically like, Clearly not as good a computer engineer right. as Bert, but Bert keeps kind of bringing him with him to every new job yes. as sort of a, like using his influence to do it because Mitzi is like, we need to have Bert in our lives. Right. Yeah. I mean, his response is basically like, I just got hired here. I have to make a good impression. I can't flex my muscle yet. I can't demand that they hire Benny. Right. And she's like, you're a supervisor. One of your jobs is to hire people. So get to the job and then hire Benny. And it's very, it's always very well done because it's it's this unspoken thing. Yeah. He doesn't want to ask the question of like, why are you so obsessed with Benny right. being with us? But he also understands the kids are obsessed with him. Like it's... Right, but he doesn't want to acknowledge of the course. jealousy. Of course. And I'm watching this movie. I know mm-hmm. the Spielberg story. I know that sure. Mitzi Lee, that his mother left his father for the father's best friend. Yeah. I know this. Yeah. So I'm watching the movie thinking, are they already absolutely right? And the whole thing, of course, the big twist of this movie is like she doesn't even know. She, it's it's unconscious for her. Yeah. See, I had a different interpretation where I was thinking this is a single man. It's the '60s. Maybe he's gay or whatever. Right. Sure, sure, sure. Oh, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no. but you didn't know right where it's gone. She's horned yeah. up for him. No, no, that's that's an obvious interpretation. 
Uh, yeah. Uh, is he a confirmed bachelor? Right. Why has he spent all this time with this family? Yeah. Yeah. Right? I really didn't see it coming. Yeah. Uh, I, no. And I do think ultimately, I mean, we're spoiling all this, but like, basically this movie leaves me with the impression that like, until the moment they actually decide they are getting divorced, the two of them have maybe kissed twice. Right. 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 That's this is not something where, right. Where, um, you know, right. It was an affair that lasted for years and finally came into the open. Or it's whatever. this emotional affair thing. And it's I an do emotional, think it's you, a true emotional. Affair. You hear about, you witness yourself in your own life. Sometimes these things where it's like, here's a happily married couple. And then there's this weird third person. Right. And sometimes it feels like it is one member of a marriage being like, I understand there is some dynamic of their personality that I cannot meet and they need this other person. Yeah. And I think there are healthy boundaries on this. I do not believe this slips into other territories. I do not believe this becomes physical. Right. I don't watch sports games with them. You know? Mm -hmm. I think sometimes you even see that with like two couples. Mm -hmm. And you're like, these two couples hang out and the two people in the middle have this one thing they like to do together and everyone's kind of fine with it. Yes. But there are always the questions. There's always the questions. And with someone like Benny, when the kids also sort of view him as an uncle, that he is a family member, he is a part of the unit, he is mm. so deeply entrenched in the thing, it's even more complicated. Mm -hmm. um, I don't remember much else with him as a little kid. What else What else is there, apart from him making There's that movies. tornado sequence. Yeah, yeah, which is the sort oh, of early like, sign where you're like, oh, she's like quite manic. Like she She's given to doing like plainly irrational thing. Right. Tornado's yes. coming. She like rounds up all the kids. She hands him the baby and then takes all the adult kids or, you know, walking kids. Yeah, no, put like throws them in the car and just like drives towards just the tornado. It. Yeah. Right. And was like, we got to see this. Yeah. yeah. And it's one of those things that feels like a story you hear from a friend where they're like, this is something that happened to me as a kid that when I was a kid, I was like, well, that was fun and crazy. Yeah. And then with the perspective of adulthood, I'm like, what the hell were my parents doing? Or like, what the hell was my brother doing? Or whatever, you know, like, what was here's, that? Here's the thing I love about this movie. Yeah. Is that, uh, invoking the bad people, but like uh, uh, Jeffrey Wells, the Voldemort of the online film community, mm -hmm. right? Was at our screening. Yeah. Looking like a real warlock. And uh, he posted his review of this that was just like, this movie is so self-indulgent you would not care about this kid's life if this kid didn't grow up to be Steven Spielberg. And I, you're like, well, guess what? He did. He did. And that's the fucking framework we're all watching this movie under, right? right? Yeah. You understand the building blocks that this is working towards. You Part of the narrative tension of this movie is knowing, and then this guy goes on to make this movie and also all the other movies that have like changed American culture over the last 50 years and all that sort of shit. Yeah, like get over it. Get over it. There are other, and I'm not trying to throw any of these movies under the bus, but some of these other memoir-y master filmmaker revisits his childhood mm -hmm. movies, I do feel get a little more self-indulgent because they're just caught up in the like the day-to-day, -day, the living, the whatever. Mm. Spielberg is such a natural storyteller and has such an eye and on an the audience. Entertainer, yes. An entertainer that every scene in this movie has a real narrative point to it, even if it is not a, a, a linear A to B plot. Right. Every scene is giving you a very specific story beat that at least builds out the characters in the world, right? And the way you're talking about this scene feeling like the story that an adult tells later and now has like a new perspective on, this movie to me, and this will sound like a backhanded compliment, it is not at all. I've recently got 
way back into listening to WTF. I've been yeah. locking the gates left and right. Yeah, you have. This movie feels like the best episodes of WTF where you're like, here's an adult who has gone through decades of therapy, is now like 50 years old, is talking to Mark Marin, and is able to isolate the 15 stories in their life that function as a microcosm of who they are and how they turned out the way they did. Right, right, right. He is good at it. You know, you yeah. listen to the Rosie Perez episode, and it's just like she has the Fuck. 15 crystallized I moments. should listen to the Rosie it's Perez episode. so good. Mm-hmm. But she has the moment where she's like, I remember I was a child, yeah, and this yeah. happened, and someone said this to me, and I've spent the last 30 years unpacking this. And it's like every scene in this feels like the scene you talk about forever. Yeah. Spielberg in this, uh, I think it was the L. Scott interview, was saying it's how the Times, you can read it. Yep. this movie feels so therapeutic. It almost feels young in terms of him working through all these things. Right. And he was like, what's your relationship with therapy been? And he's like, it's making movies. Hey, man. It's always been my thing. I, believe I abstract it. I work in metaphor. And he's right. like, have you ever seen a therapist? And he said, when I was like 18, mm-hmm. I saw a therapist to get out of the draft. Mm, sure, classic. And like, I saw him for like five months. And at the end of those five months, when I wanted him to think I was crazy, it turned out that he was very pro-war and he would not sign. <laughs> sure, so it didn't even work. So right. it was a waste. And he was like, that's my entire relationship with therapy across yeah. my life. But it does feel like these are the scenes where he's worked through these stories for the last 60 plus years and now understands the importance of what they represent. Right. Yes. You go forward to Arizona. Go forward to Arizona. You leap to 16-ish year old uh, Sammy Fableman, Mm -hmm. played by Gabriel LaBelle, Mm -hmm. who's in um, The Predator, but I don't remember. I don't either. If he had a big role in that. I don't think so. Uh, That's like his kind of his only... He's uh, film credit. Canadian. His father is like a Canadian character actor. Uh, sure. He's got a handful of like TV credits, a couple little movie parts, but it was mostly mm-hmm. like what's filming locally. Yeah. I think uh, he's from Vancouver, I want to say. He sure is. Yeah. So it's like a lot of stuff films there. His uh, dad is like yeah. a jobbing yeah, Vancouver. Yeah, yeah. His dad's some character actor. TV character right. actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he would start, you know, getting little parts and things. He's quite good. Um, the vibe in Arizona is happy. Yes. I would say, by yeah. and large, right? It's Especially like, once Benny's locked in. Exactly. There. The, Benny is there. The yeah. dad is an unqualified success. Like, he's clearly, like, he's killing streets ahead on yes. computers. It's back when computers had doors streets and shit. Ahead. Streets ahead. Yeah. Um, one of the weirdest community jokes. Very so funny. Good. Yeah. Very funny. Um, he's got these sisters, mm-hmm. Julia Butters. We love to see her. Yeah. Uh, this, really fun. This is the little girl from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Ben. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, uh, the child actor is playing the sister with the glasses. Yeah, she's sure. the oldest. Who's sister. one of these people who are yes. watching this movie? You're like, I guess she is going to be. We're going. She's going to be around forever. Right? She's fucking great. I, I thought uh, these were all great kids' performances. Yeah, which usually kids' performances they can really just stick out. Well, uh, and, I, and like stick in your craw yeah, and just sure. like kind of feel a little over, as we move forward to the movie yeah. some of the high school performances i think they're two incredible standouts here but all mm. the kids are good and they don't feel spielberg kitty no and like some of the stuff with him like when they're dressed up as the mummies and oh, they're going well, that's, like ah, right it's so cute that's when he's still a little boy but it is yeah that that's thing. when he's a boy right you're I was trying to remember there's a lot of these little movies you see the him problem making. solving right. of yeah, like yeah, yeah. how do you do a tooth extraction candy corn ketchup right. in the mouth right, right the right, toilet right. paper rolls all this stuff is cute but also it's all cute and you're like is the whole movie going to be this no it's pretty much one montage yeah exactly that shows him working out the math of like how do you fake things on screen right and and also just you getting the idea of like his sisters is these sort of willing participants yeah. in his little experiments right, right. You know, in his little in his little hobby and his mom's sort of going like oh those kids right. and the dad being like what is this thing i wish he would like do anything else right, right. yeah 
Um, well, not being completely dismissive, but whatever. Um, no, it's this balance of him being like, there's scenes that I love so much where he's blown away by the ingenuity of the way he's exactly. able to figure things out. Right. How did you create the bullet holes? I poked pins through the film itself. I mean, that's the best. That's like their biggest moment of connection. Right. And he's like, yeah. that's brilliant. That's brilliant. So when are you going to start applying that energy to math? <laughs> yeah, do you want to go to MIT? <laughs> right. Rather than saying like, my kid is inc- clearly incredible at this thing. Yes. He's like, if you could just shift that ingenuity over to something that actually matters, that conversation of like, but when are you going to like actually make something? Yeah, because it's like, I feel like film school at that point. Yes is still a fairly new... Like, it's the 60s where that really becomes yes. a concept that you could take a four-year college program yeah. to like in film. So, like, Cal Arts, NYU, right. these kinds of places. UCLA, to, to, USC, you know, like right. they, they really start expanding in the 60s. But it is... So, like, obviously, those, though, film yeah. is a long-standing thing. Yeah. It is a blue-collar trade, yeah. I feel like. And this is just the beginning of it more being like a professional class. And right? his generation, Spielberg's generation, is the first generation to actually, like, come out of film school and have careers. Like, it's it's Coppola and it's Lucas and it's Scorsese on the East Coast, you know? Yeah. They're the first guys to sort of get permission from their parents to actually pursue this and make something of themselves. But yeah, it feels like that's an actual job. It, that that moment where Dano, I know we're jumping around a little bit, where Dano's like... Let's just jump around. I don't remember yeah. the exact progression. Well, this yeah. is the thing. At this point, it becomes hard to track it in order. But where Dano's like, um, when I was a kid, I used to look at things and try to figure out how they were made. Like I'd look at this car and this radio yeah. and I'd want to figure out how to make things. Right. And he's like, I make things. I make movies. I do the exact same thing you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, we, like, we are this. We have the same brain about this. Right. And then Dad. he's like, no, but like real things, yeah, like right. things that people use. Because the, the, it's ephemeral, a film, right? right? You know? But it's that thing that's so heartbreaking where it's like he is a very sweet man. He loves his children dearly. Yeah. He is so caught up in his own worldview that he's just like, you need to think about things the same way I do because that has worked well for me. He cannot understand the kids shifting in their behavior a little bit. Like, he's like, I used to look at this car. You should look at cars the way I look at cars and try to figure out how they're made. It's funny because, of course— It's so one-to-one The, the mom mind. is so different, right? And she's yes. so encouraging of all this stuff. But And you're like, so how did this marriage come about? But yep. obviously, it's like they're two Jewish people mm-hmm. in a time where, like, you're going to marry another Jewish person. And they, they do have this sort of yin-yang thing of, like, they're good together— yeah, you know, they're, fire and they're ice. Like good co-parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were talking about this the other day off mic, but like that thing for uh, up until you know for a long period of time, basically, if you wanted to date someone, you got married when you were twenty. If you wanted to live with someone, if you if wanted you want to, to date them beyond someone, like going to right. right dinner with your parents or whatever, right? Sure. Marriage yeah. was like a pretty quick step yeah. it was like day three and then maybe. it's like now have four babies right and it's like oh now you don't have a career like, right and what's almost sort of more yeah. astonishing is that you're like they work better than you think they would for two people who probably got married three months after meeting each other that's a good question i wonder if i can find out when they got married let's yeah, find out look at um it. because spielberg is the oldest mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. The, the the all the girls are younger than him correct um so arnold spielberg was born in 1917 okay and he married uh, Leah. Leah in 1945. Okay. 
the war obviously sort of interrupted things. But so they were 28. 20, you know, okay. Like, you know, so, yeah. you know. Um, but he was, Arnold Spielberg was served in uh, World War II. Sure. Did they allude um, to... And they lost a lot of family in the Holocaust. Like, sure. uh, you know, yeah. Spielbergs, other Spielbergs. Does... Yes. does do they allude to Dano's character being in the war? They do because they when do. he's yeah, making they, they the war it. movie, because like the ham oh, radio, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah right, well, yeah. There, he, he there's was, the scene where I don't know if it's like the gym coach or whatever when he screens the war movie and they're like, "So that's based on your dad's memories, huh? Right. Your dad's experiences in the war." And he's like, "He doesn't really talk about it." Right. Which I think obviously was a very common phenomenon. Yeah. For, yeah. But uh, it does feel like about. yes, it, it, it is invoked mostly through the prism of the war film. Got it. And him sort of asking his dad if the details are right and people being like, oh, this must be your dad's story. Mm-hmm. And it's it's clear that it's a lockbox kind of thing. How about when, uh, during the shooting of the, the war film, mm-hmm. he directs his actor? Well, oh. that sequence is so good. And like because, gets him to like really yeah, but that's, feel Because I feel like, like you're saying, so much of what we're seeing when we're seeing him make movies it's is technical. the problem solving, right? But it's usually yes. technical stuff and it's right. so clever to watch him yes. do the thing like poke it, the holes. It's it's visual ingenuity. But it's sort of magic shit. Right? That is like one of his earliest examples that he clearly remembers of me like interacting with an actor and getting yeah. him there. Like, you know. And that he gets so worked up that he's feeling it when he's describing it to the guy and when the guy he's like trying to direct him and the guy goes well like what you mean like acting and it's like right at up until this point everyone who's been in one of his movies is basically like i am also a technician my job is to stand in the place he tells me to stand right my job is not to be an emotional conduit for anything and when the kid asks him that you're like is spielberg gonna make some snipey joke back at him like yes you're an actor be an actor in my movie right and instead he's kind of taking it back and he's like yeah, I guess yes. That is what I want. Right, right, right. It's a it it is a two way thing. The yeah, kids yeah, yeah. open to it. This big kid. Yes, yeah. But but but, it's but they both need to in real time figure out what is this actually. But also like there is that vulnerability, right? Of like this is this is the fifties or the early sixties. Yeah. Like you know, boys aren't supposed to be emotional. Like but it's a little tough for this kid I'm to like, access it. Yeah. I think this kid's. I'm watching the scene going. This kid's gonna revolt. He's gonna go. This is dorky. I, can't do I don't want to do right, this. Right, right, yeah, and yeah. said so they're both like. Acting, huh? Yeah, so what right. would you say to me next? And then I would like feel this. And then of course the ultimate sort of gag is that the kid just can't, he keeps walking, right? He can't uh, get out of the and scene. Yeah, fucking yeah. Spielberg restraint. They don't cut back to the kid. You don't see a close up of him with tears down his face. You just end the scene on cut and the kid's still walking off into the distance. And you realize like, oh, he just went somewhere. I got to see this movie again. This movie rips. All right, all right. So what are some other things in this sort of middle period where it's like he's getting into this Yeah, I mean, so he's... Figure out that thing with the fucking wooden board in the desert where if they step on it, it looks like a gunshot yes. went off. Like, yes. all this shit that is rules. so good. Um, but no, but, like, I'm trying to think of other, like, emotional, well, like... so he's filming the war movie. Yeah. The mother dies. Uh, which uh, is uh, the Robin mother. Bartlett character, yeah. which is such a wrenching scene. Yes. It, it's quite upsetting. Like, yes. it's very well done without being too, like, sort of nasty or traumatic like it's just like sad yeah and there's been this step up of the equipment right he keeps on sort of getting his yeah he's getting better camera he gets an editing bay right a little baby thing right right? he's got the little thing that's truly just the like uh the the clipper yeah the clipper with the glue he's projecting it you know i mean you have that one moment it's another moment early on where you're like is this going to be too spielbergy but the image in the hands when he's as a little kid right but what he doesn't have is basically like a moviola where he can watch and cut right but he does eventually get well it's at this point right 
Because right. it's the difference between just like basically having like the clipper. I'm I'm using dumb terms Whatever. here. But you see him running the projector back and forth, then having to unspool it, hold it up to the light, try to figure out where the cut is versus this. There is that Spielberg vibe also where he's like, listen up, kids. You know how fucking hard it was to do this yeah. when I was a kid, you know. And then having to like take the different sections, tape them, label the tape to the desk, all the shit I love. I mean, this was how I, I was like making fucking Super 8 films. Boy, Mr. Spielberg over here. All I'm saying is watching this, I was like, I gotta fucking dig this shit out of my closet uh, and do I this again. I would f- fuck around with my uncle's digital camera, but I would yeah. make movies in, or movie, you know, I yeah. would like do things in camera. Like, you know, yeah. you'd like stop at, to edit it. Like, yeah. I had no idea how to video edit. I never, I still don't. No, I was, I was doing like fucking physical editing like this. Right. I had a VHS tape and we, me and my friends Like a made, classic, like on the shoulder, big VHS yeah, camera. Yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah, and we made our own jackass. Oh, what? You did what? A, so you fun. made a jackass film? <laughs> no, but those are dangerous. <laughs> what was it called? <laughs> Poison Potpourri Patrol. Yeah, I think you may have mentioned this. You certainly mentioned it to me. I've, I forget if you mentioned it on air. I've been missing, like, I've, I, or rather I should yeah. say, I've been trying to track down this tape for so long. It's like yeah. one of my you old friends. If you do... We're going to get we're, a VHS player. Yeah, we're going to screen it on this. Yeah, for sure. This yeah, absolutely. Right here. Um, okay. But, but so, mm. he asked for this new equipment. He tries to explain to his dad the importance of it. There's right. sort of the argument with the mom of like, just support it. It's not that much money. Because he says, what, that he used... Oh, that's what... Jeannie Berlin gives him some of the money. Yeah. Because it's like he bought extra reels of film. Jeannie Berlin forwards him the Hanukkah money. He says he needs this and, one thing. And Jeannie Berlin, who is playing Bert's dad. Yes. Um, right? Yes. Bert's mom. Sorry, dad. I was yeah. like, why did I? Uh, she seems to be like, she's the slightly more classy, judgmental, yes. upper middle class. Right. She frowns on them using paper plates and paper utensils and all that, she's which I love. Such a good character detail. She complains about the brisket. Early on in the movie. It doesn't taste as good on a plastic fork. Early on in the movie, they sort of say like, well, they don't use the utensils. They use paper plates. They use disposable tablecloths because she's got piano hands. She doesn't want to damage her hands. Right. And as it goes on, it's just like... She, she resists domesticity. She doesn't want right. to be a domestic like housewife. It's like, like that's the just thing not what she's that like. yeah. keeps her from fully committing to this is just like, well, I throw it all away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he, right, he's collecting the scorpions. He's scourging together money. He makes the big plea to Dano. The family's fighting about whether or not to get him this editing thing. Right. And then the dad buys him the thing. Right. They've gone on the camping trip. I'm sorry. The camping uh, trip yeah, happens the camping before trip, the uh, mom dies. So they go on the camping trip. He's filming everything obsessively. There's the moment where she's dancing in front of the fire and you can see through her dress. And the girls are so embarrassed. They're so scandalized, yes. And they're like, why aren't you doing anything about this? Why are you filming it? And it's like, because this is good footage. What do you mean? This is... It, it, it's the recurring theme in this film is this kid knows... What looks good on camera? He gets it. He sees and the moments. We will you talk about the confrontation with the bully later, which is sort of like a huge, huge, huge thing in the film. But it's the same kind of thing. He's like, "Look, man, I shoot things. They look good on camera. I don't know what to tell you. Right. Like, it is what it is. Truly, yeah. it, not like the kid is like destined for this. But this is what I'm talking about. Him being a savant, where he doesn't quite understand either how he does things well or why he is driven to do these things. Right now, so part of the dancing is also he's kind of in between. Yes. The father and Benny. Yes. They're both watching her yes. dance with a totally different context. Yes. And it's just, I don't know, there's just something about how that all plays out that just this, you know, uh, this microcosm of the bigger thing that's happening in the movie. Right. So then the mom dies. 
The dad mm-hmm. gets him the new Moviola editor yeah. and says, like, I got this for you. This is the favor. The favor you owe me. You have to cut together the footage from the camping trip. Yeah. And obviously the mom is still in this great funk from her mother dying. And like the she's dad's imagining like, this phone calls from her mother's ghost. Which is right. Like also effective and kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, but um what's so interesting about this mm-hmm. is two things. One, the fact that Sammy is like, What? I don't want to do that. Which is like so reminiscent to me of being a teenager where you like you would do these callous things yes even though it's so plain such why the request is being made right like yes you're a stupid teenager but still like he knows it's a it's a normal thing for his dad like what an easy trade it's that weird thing of like teenagers are more sensitive and in so many ways more emotionally attuned than anyone else but it's like their receptors are so sensitive that it hurts to acknowledge emotions right like you you turn to this callous defense because you're just like i'm so aware i can read everyone now yeah i can't block it out fuck you i don't know i'm not gonna do this and it goes right. from being the pragmatic defense of like well i have like 10 kids i'm busy yeah yeah yeah. right well, i've sure. already i can't delay the shoot a week right, i have right, to right, do right. this yeah. and that and it's just like you don't understand how important this is to your mother and this is the shit I'm talking about where Dano even even though he has not been supporting the movie thing the whole time he's even a, though he's like when do you get over this he's basically like you making this is the one thing that would cheer your mother up this weird power you have and he's like who cares the movie camping trip it's like it will mean so much to her that you right. did this yeah he's and he's right I just bought this for you you have to fucking and cut this footage he's not wrong yes but at the same time, the whole time I'm watching it, I'm being like, why can't you talk to your wife? Right. You know, like it, it, like where he's like, this is the only thing that's going to work. And I'm like, why is that the only thing that's going to work? Even though I'm kind of like, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, it's he likes the language. And it's also just that like cinema is this ecstatic expression. No, expression. it is. And, but, it, it's but it, things that are intangible. But it's also like he's saying, it's the gift of like, I made this for you, yeah. mom. Like, you know, I, I yeah. That is, you know, you love to get a little home. It's this captured gift. moment in time. That fucking camping trip is like one of the last moments of her life before the mother dies. It's capturing her in a purer state, a simpler state, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously the big twist that we already sort of referenced. It's that like when Sammy's well, looking through David, the footage. What? David, David, something humongous happens oh, right her, before. Is Hirsch before this? Hirsch shows right. yeah, yeah, up. Right, right, Hirsch yeah. shows up right after this conversation. So it turns out that uh, Mitzi's uncle, yes. right? That's who he is, uh-huh. is um, a living Jewish lion. And he emerges, he's escaped from the circus. He's. She's gotten this phone call that she, this imagined phone call from the ghost of her mother saying a man is going to show up, don't let him in the house. Yeah, right, 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 right. Like this This warning. Yeah. Right. Dano picks up the phone and is like, there's no one there. And then he just arrives. He arrives. In a cab. And he's uncle. Mitzi's freaking out. This is what uh, was warned. Boris. Uncle Boris. We don't talk to him. He's right. been cast aside. Is, is there a reason why? Should I not let this man in the house? Is he a dibuk? Did you notice the temperature uh, symbol that arrived in the right corner of the screen? How it started going, getting hotter? It's a fucking thermostat performance. Yes. That's a very, very good point. Thank you for teeing him up there, Ben. Um, Thank you, Ben. Uncle Boris worked in the circus, right? Uh-huh. And worked in the pictures. He worked in the movies. Like the silent pictures, the si- right? It's sort of the idea. The right? silent movies. Um, and he is a garrulous, hairy Jew. Dirty show folk. He is exactly what 
Dano is worried is will happen to about. his son right. if he pursues this career. And it's like he is this, but he's also he's like Hollywood's past back when it really yeah. was right. this like blue collar thing. Yes. And even below blue collar, right? Yes. It was like these like traveling sort of like entertainer thing, you right. know, almost like a carny or whatever. Like, yeah. But there's even that moment where he's like, I started working in the movies in 1927. And he's like, jazz singer, first talking. And he's like, I didn't work on that one. Like it's, he doesn't have the credits that are just no, like, he's right. you made an impact. Yeah. But he is, he's like, art is within me. It's within your mother. Yes. And it's within you. And I see this. Well, there's and this... he's not like, kid, you got to make movies. You got the gift. He's like, art is a tornado. <laughs> like, he's, he's terrifying about that, but he's it. like, you and I were addicts. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because there, there was no kicking us off of this thing. The whole thing in this movie is that Spielberg is saying, like, there has always been a camera between me and everybody. Yeah. And, like, I can't, I mean, like, look, I just want to, it's the lead of my review, but it's the most important shot of the movie is later in the movie when they're announcing the divorce to the kids, he sees himself filming it yes. in the mirror. Yes. Which is, like, you know, one of the most, like, kind of impressionistic things Spielberg has ever put on a uh -huh. film. Uh-huh. Because it's not happening. But he's yes. just like, I'm, I know I'm filming. I'm thinking about how I would film this. Yes. That's, that's what it is. It's here that, you are yes. watching the movie. I did film it yes. 60 years later. Well, like, you we'll know. get to the other one, but that fucking knocks me yes. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but yes, no, Hirsch is like, he is this omen almost. He is like a, a ghost of Christmas yet to come, right? Mm. It's not like, I'm telling you, kid, you got the gift. You got to pursue this. There's the little bit of the, like, your mother will it'll break her heart if you don't. But it's more about because she gave this up. Right. And she's never going to be happy now. You need to avoid that. Basically, kid, here's your death sentence. You have no choice. You have the thing. I see it in you. It's incurable. Right. Your life might suck. Yeah. There's a really good chance your life might suck. And even if you find success in your field, it's probably going to come at the expense of your relationships right. and your family. But bad news. It, this is who you are. Right. Here's where it's going. He rips his shirt open, <laughs> demands they sit shiva. The ripping the shirt open is so good. The whole thing. There is also just that thing that we've all had, I feel like, where it's like a relative or weird family friend comes over yeah. and it's like they're getting your room or they're sleeping on the couch or yes. whatever. And you're just like, I don't like this. And it's like, well, too bad. Like yeah. it has to happen. Yes. You know that feeling as a teenager or as a kid where you're just like, eh, this is like out of routine. This is this is troubling. Look, I've long advocated for Oscars for all living taxi cast members. I mean, I think he's going to be he got an applause break in my yeah. uh, it was a premiere screening. People are jazzed up. Yeah. But, but uh, right, you know, he got he got a huge reaction. Even the people who seem a little muted in their response to this film are like, obviously, the Hirsch thing is a knockout. It is? Yeah. Uh, I have a memory, like, I know what you're talking about, David, and it's usually adults who are not good with kids. Mm. Yeah, often. They're, right, like, exactly. they have no way of speaking to you like other adults do. Is, this guy it's is just not in not. them. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But, there, but there's also something so intriguing about that kind of adult, too. Yeah. Right. So then, at the behest of Judd Hirsch, who implores him, you have to do this. Why are you being selfish? Make the fucking camping movie, right? Mm -hmm. He watches the footage and discovers the most devastating thing imaginable. Yes. It's like, it's it's exactly what Judd Hirsch just said basically coming true. You have no choice but to do this. You cannot avoid this. By the way, it's going to break your fucking heart. And it's so carefully presented mm -hmm. where it's like, 
he's not seeing them like kiss. No. But he's just like over and over seeing them like be together. Yeah. And hold hands and chat and be emotional and being off to the side of things. I'm sorry I keep on so invoking this A.O. Scott interview, but like there's no, whatever. It, it's it like kind of a big so much interview he gave, Yeah, he doesn't give a lot of. You know. There was the Hollywood Reporter piece is really good yeah. too. But um, A.O. Scott was like, is how much is that like a, a Hollywoodized, a clean narrative version of what happened? He's like, that is exactly what happened. And he's like, I find that fascinating because. I feel like one of your greatest skill sets as a director has been being able to communicate a complicated story beat, emotional beat, character, you know, piece of character development through a gesture, through emotion, not needing dialogue to explain things. Yeah. That you can have a subtle shift in physicality that's maybe not even at the center of the frame completely change the temperature of the movie. Right. And it's like, yeah, it probably is because of that. And, you know, it's probably because I fucking obsessively watched this footage trying to analyze the body yeah. language of what was happening in the background of a frame. It's such a, you know, uh, deep thing. Yeah, for him clearly. Yes, and uh, yes. it's very cool that he put it on screen for me to watch uh, while eating some sort of like half stale popcorn. So it also is what it's like to be an editor. It really, I think, portrays the like obsessive having yeah. to go back, the, 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 the little the, tiny the, detail, the, the, yeah, the repetition, over, yes. over and over again. Right, because you have that Boring. earlier. Boring. No thanks. Don't want to do it. Fun. Mm. Like I find it very relaxing. Mm, yeah. Um, haven't done it in a while. Yeah. Um, the uh, you now go to the period where Sammy's a little shit, where he, he is so puts down the camera. Yes, because he's like, you know, toxic. I this this thing has only brought me misery. Right. And I think that's why he becomes a little shit because he's he's lost his cigarettes, he's it's, lost his crutch. Yeah, it's also it's like his only form of communication, his only form himself. And and then obviously also very understandably he's completely consumed by this new perspective on his parents that he can't emotionally handle, which like you know is yeah. a very understandable reaction. But this is basically when he starts talking in the movie. He's yeah. had so little dialogue yeah, up until this true. point. It's like now that he doesn't have the camera and he's forced to actually engage with the world around him as a person, he does not like it. He is unhappy. And it's that thing that, like, uh, the, the, everyone can tell in the family. Yeah, that something's up with Sammy. Yeah, and yeah. it's so pointedly being directed at his mom and yes. and then trickle down to Benny. Is this they when she's... the premiere of the yeah. war movie. Yes, which is awesome. She right. comes over, says, I'm so proud. He walks away. Benny right. comes over and is like, way to go, man. Right. Fucking walks He's, away. He gives Benny the coldest, coldest shoulders. Right. Yeah. And then uh, she says, I'm tired. Benny's going to drive me home. I, you guys continue celebrating and he's just like fucking insult to injury. They're right. continuing to do Now I'm clocking it in real time. Right. And again, as I said, in this movie, when I'm watching it, I'm like, do, do they, are they having an affair or not? Especially like, when they're going to the car together. I'm like, are they moving? Are, are they going to drive to like fucking lover's leap, right. fucking a car, and then he's going to drop her off? But like of some course disgusting... the whole thing is like, she doesn't even know she's doing it. No. She sort of knows. Yeah. Like, she, once confronted with it, of course she knows. But, like, you know, like, she doesn't know that she's doing it. She just wants to get the ride home with him because she prefers him. It's the unspoken thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, I truly do sympathize with her in so many ways, which is yes. so crucial to the film. And the thing she says about how Bert kind of kills with kindness, where it's like, he's so nice mm -hmm. and understanding that it's tough to be mad at him, which only makes you more frustrated with him. Yes. Yeah. It's a, it's a complicated set of emotions. Absolutely. Yes. He's not some easy villain and she's not some easy villain. No, absolutely not. But 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 for Sammy at this moment, she is the Of course, villain. right. How um, dare you? When does she slap him on the back? Is that when they're in California? Like, is that after the move? 
No, that's still wild. No, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. That's they have the premiere. Yeah. Then she's serving breakfast. He's right. being such a little shit. He's, he's like doing on the swim team or whatever. The, he's shirtless. The, the yeah. swim instructor test, right? Right. That's it. Yeah, yeah. And, and he makes some snide comment, and she like goes like, "Why are you continually being an asshole to me?" Right. Like she calls it out. He like storms off in a huff. I he says something very. He says something mean. It's about the eggs as well. There's a whole thing with the right. eggs, and she slaps him on the back and leaves a mark, which it just again feels like one of those things Spielberg has never forgot. Right, like one of those sort of like indelible. Also, she basically impulsively, as a knee jerk in response to what he says, goes to slap him in the face, and Spielberg turns away, and so the hand directly connects like in between his shoulder yeah. blades. So it's also like this averted it's, face it's, slap. Right, she didn't mean right. that would yeah, almost yeah. be worse. But yet there's this, like, big red mark on his back. She goes in to try to apologize to him, and he shows her the the film footage. Um, right. And it is as powerful for her as it is for him. Like, it's a, it's a thunderbolt moment. Also just, like, Mom, go sit in the closet. Yeah. Like, this is where I keep the trauma. Yeah. Now you have to walk in here, and now we have to share this. Yeah. yeah. It's good. She's really good in this moment. She's yes, really she good is. in this it's uh, movie. It's a very big performance, and I think that puts some people off. Like, it's a very big performance. I think this is who she really was as a person. I agree. And also, right, yeah, I think Spielberg cast her partly. I mean, she's a very talented actor, but, like, she kind of looks like his mom. Like, when you look at his mom, uh, she kind of looks well, like Let's him. acknowledge. Dano and Williams both feel like the waspier versions of his parents. He talked about needing to cast based on mood and based on the feeling they evoked like look, in yeah, the yeah, previous yeah. work and whatever. Everyone else in the family, like, I mean, obviously, when you get to Hirsch and Jeannie Berlin and uh, Rogan even as, like, you know, their yeah. Jewish friend and Gabriel LaBelle and everyone, everyone else reads more Jewish. Yeah. Uh, Armageddon Time is coming out right around the same time where it's yeah. similarly like you're like Anthony Hopkins, Anne Hathaway, and Jeremy Strong are all doing strong New York Jewish dialects. Well, no, not not Hopkins. Oh, right, because Hopkins, Hopkins is English. Is, yes. No, he's the character's English because James Gray's grandfather was English. Oh, was I didn't, a Jew who immigrated to England. Okay. When um, we had talked about this, you I was hadn't not sure about dug into whether... Yeah. The thing... The difference I will say... Like, there's... Look, I think there's a... There, I think the whole thing... We're all... Me and you are both Jewish. And and we talk about this a lot. It's not a thing where I'm like forbidden, but it is I'm a thing I sometimes either. get touchy about. I'm probably touchy about because I do act to some degree where I'm just yeah, like sure, sure, sure. in these movies that are explicitly Jewish texts about Jewish families that are written and directed by Jewish filmmakers. Why are they so loath to actually put right. Jews in these roles? And a lot of it is, unfortunately, fucking bankability names, whatever. The, the thing with Armageddon Time especially, I feel like it's like, that movie was made for very little money. And he needed to I, get... He needs names. Like, right. and he, not just names, names that are available. Right. And uh, this one is a little different because this is Steven Spielberg we're talking yeah. about. He more has his pick of who he wants to cast. But I think like he was Dano like, and, these are the two people who remind no, me of my he, parents He obviously cast the people he wanted to cast, and that's fine. Like, my friend... I can't argue I with either of these name, performances. Yeah. No, neither can I. I yeah. think they're excellent performances. My friend will not name has this whole kind of like... These fucking Jewish boys can't even. They cast shikses. They yeah. can't acknowledge yes. like their Jewishness I, to this day. You know, I, even though even they're making the Jewish movie. I do think there's a little part of that, and I do think there is a deeply in Armageddon time. I actually kind of meant like it in a meta way because it's like they're trying to assimilate. You know, sure. you know what I mean? Like, which I guess is sort of true. And we were almost even talking around this a little bit in the Eyes Wide Shut episode, but I do think there is this aspect of these guys where it's like there is anti-Semitism in our culture. The anti-Semitism maybe doesn't exist in the film industry in terms of the people you're interfacing with because the industry is very Jew-heavy, right? Yeah. Disproportionately so to other industries in America. 
but I do think there is an ingrained anti-Semitism that when it comes to actually making the movies, you're like, people aren't going to like it if it's too Jewish, right? No, I, I do think, yeah. Even like, though it's hard to you have Jewish it. studio heads and investors and producers and everyone working on the movie, they're like, but we obviously have to you take a half step. Back. There's that little feeling of like the rejection of from the audience. Mm. The one I always throw out that's the most galling to me is this is where I leave you. And it's mostly galling because the movie's bad. It's a bad movie. But directed by a Jew, right? Directed by a Jew, yeah. based on a book, written by a Jew, yeah. and it's all about sitting Shiva. Is and there it's any Jew in Jane it? Jane Fonda, Jason Bateman, Tina Fey, Adam Driver, who I give a pass to. But Why was, do you give him a pass? Because he's got the right neuroses. He does, but this is so does I'm Tina saying, Fey. The, Tina the thing, Fey, I think, is a little off. She's Greek. It's like it's like it's the whole thing where like where I, and I. This is my yeah. counterpoint. Yes. To when my Jewish friends get mad about quote unquote Jew face. Yes. Where I'm like, bitch. I say bitch, which is rude. Because yeah. my friends are but nice people. How you talk, and it really is how he talks, folks. <laughs> We've been getting away with playing Italians this for years, <laughs> playing you know Mediterranean people right. for years. Lord knows we got away with playing some other people. We probably shouldn't have been playing. You know, like it's always been this kind of like you're white or you're ethnic white. You know, yes. and and I do think it's tough to shed some of that stuff. So I see Tina Fey playing a Jew. I'm like, eh, she's Greek. She's she's she funny. It. Yeah, like yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> And maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> no, it's a weird. I never saw. Um, I mean, that movie's just not good. Leave you, uh, and now he's making a Star Wars. But um, no, he's not. I'm making a Star. I am too. That's so crazy. We haven't talked G. about D. this. Diller yeah. just announced yeah. in an interview. Uh -huh. He made this film devotion. He was like, yeah. "Sadly, I don't think my Star Wars project is going to happen." I'm like, "You don't. You say. had a Star Wars project? Yes. I never even heard about no. this. No, yes. everyone has had a Star Wars project. Yes. Ben also is now doing two Star Wars projects. I'm really excited. I think uh, they're going to be good. Yeah. I mean, you know, Darth Stupid Idiot finally needs to grace the big screen. He's wet as hell. Alu Gasher. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, okay. All this to say, yeah. the thing Spielberg said was that uh, the main performance that convinced him to cast Michelle Williams is Gwen Verdon, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah, uh, totally. Uh, he he mentioned Blue Valentine as sort of like that's my favorite Michelle Williams performance. But he said that's when she really when I saw for me, Verdon, the emotional depths, the technical skill of this person. But Fosse Verdon, he was like that's kind of my mother. But but Fosse Verdon, he was right. He was like I, I I had never seen her do something so transformative or whatever. But also the 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 hyper fragile consummate performer, this person who is like a ball of light and energy, but also uh, it's all on the surface. You yeah. know, bruises so easily. Um, but yeah, so they have this devastating uh, confrontation. They do, yes, with his mother, yes. And um, and then shortly thereafter, they have to move to California, right? He gets a new job. Yeah. And, and it's the same thing where she's like, you better bring Benny. And he's like, I can't. Like, right. this is, and it's, the new job is IBM, right? He's like, he's yes. made it to the top of the mountain. Right? And he's like, I have already taken Benny further than he would have gotten on his Exactly. Own. And it's like, I cannot, you know, essentially put myself on the line right away here. And be like, you have to hire my best friend. Like, right. you know. And anyway. she's like, it will break my heart. But this is the thing. It does feel like he can do it. And he's like, unconsciously, he's like, no more. Like, this is, yeah, 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 right, right, right. 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 Yeah, yeah. And it's, it just, oh, it just feels like everything's like, you know, splitting at the seams. Yes. A little bit. Every okay. Everyone is finally like, we need to speak the unspoken things. Yes. A little bit. Sammy Fableman goes to cash in, trade in his old camera. Uncle Benny is there. At the counter. Uh, yeah. Yes. Um, one of these scenes that really gets to me because, like, I have this thing in a movie where I'm like, when someone gets something, yeah, 
It's like, hey, I bought you this thing, and the kid declines it because it's like an emotional moment yes. in the movie. I'm yeah. like, oh, come on, man, that that cost that guy money. Like, I know. I know. don't you have? It's sort of like the same thing as I always say, where like where people don't eat the food. Yes. I'm like, guys, don't waste it. Like, take well, the camera. Look, there's something so sweet to the fact that Rogan is doing this, right? It's very sweet. But it initially, you understand Sammy's thing of like, you're trying to buy me off. You're trying to be the fun dad you've always been. And now I see through you and I don't want it. And the whole speech uh, Benny has where he's like, it's going to break your mother's heart if you don't make movies anymore. Yeah. And I think he also understands that like he's been a balance between the two parents. Yeah. And if they move away, his mother is going to be a mess. And his dad's probably going to win the argument that you shouldn't make the movies anymore. Right. Right. And and you already seem to be doing that. Maybe I don't totally understand why, although I imagine Michelle Williams has communicated the thing about the film to him. Maybe. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. She had, I but don't think he, she ever did. He clearly knows that Sammy has picked up on at least the vibe. Right. And what starts to feel like is this a buy-off thing becomes like, I am actually doing this out of the genuineness of my heart. And to convince you of that, I will own up to you hating me. Right. Like, he basically says, I understand why you hate me, and it is fine. Right. I get it. The thing— Remove this item from that equation. Right. You need to have this, and you need to keep doing this. Turn me into the enemy. That is okay. Right. Um, And the thing I figured was going to happen was that he would eventually end up moving with them, but he doesn't. No. Like, when she remarried, when she leaves him and gets with him, she's leaving. She She goes goes back to Arizona. She goes back. Yeah. Um, and I sympathize with her in so many ways. Mm-hmm. One, that just that she's sort of this constrained person. It's so difficult to just like do the housewife thing. Yeah. You know, we just made every woman do the housewife thing. Here, have four kids. Like, you know. And we didn't talk about the, the scene, piano scene. Right, with yeah. the nails. That's that's when they're still in Arizona, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that the scene is that scene is really, really gutting. Yeah. Uh, and it's played for laughs. Well, because at first when you're hearing the nails tapping, I'm like, oh, that's such a good Spielberg memory little, detail. Little detail. And right, you're like, oh, no, forget. the whole scene's about the nails. Yes. Um, to explain, She's giving this recital. She's got these beautiful she's long practicing nails. To, she's yeah, going to yeah, perform yeah. on television. Yeah. She's got these giant long red nails. Mm-hmm. And they're like, it sounds like a typewriter. You cannot go on TV with these. No right. one will hear you playing. And of course... Dano's response is like, well, especially with the mics they have. Like he like right. explains like, a, a technical level. These days. Yeah, and, and they, so like, they clip her nails kind of against her will. Yes, uh, in this way where she's laughing the whole time, but you're also like, Jesus, I don't know. Like there's something weird about it. There's something kind of sexy about it. And they're both because like holding uh, Seth her down. Rogan's holding her. Yeah. And then know. after they do the first one, she's like, "That's enough of that. I'll go in and do the rest myself." Yeah. Like it then becomes. Yeah, and it's just one of those. Yeah, like encapsulations of like she could be with the joke could be kind of like really up and right. manic and then suddenly kind of like completely out of it and you know, also this it's hard to read her thing of like are they suppressing her like spirit why are they making her conform to having normal sized nails and it's like because you want to play music she it's needs not to like cut her fucking to nails you to but, become, but yeah. there is that feeling of, of like course. they're putting her in a cage yes and like then, of course, you know, like when she arrives home in California with a monkey on her shoulder, which is apparently a real thing Steven Spielberg's mother Absolutely. did. Yeah. She's like, I wanted to laugh. And it's like one of these things where you're like. breaking. Yes. It's fucking heartbreaking. And she names the monkey Benny. Yes. And everyone's like, well, now you've put too fine a point on it. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> now you've said the thing that you can't unsay. <sighs> yeah. yeah. Um, 
Yes. Uh, so, but yeah, the California thing, I feel for her on that front. Mm-hmm. And I feel for her and the entire, ki- all the kids, as someone who has moved across the country, uh, to another country, across the ocean, mm-hmm. when I was nine years old. Mm-hmm. It David's sucks. David's me down. It sucks. <laughs> sure. Have, you never did the, you never did a big move. You were never, no. right. You, no, you know, no, 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 no. We, uh, we moved from the seventh floor to the 11th floor in the same building. <laughs> were you crying and like being dragged up the stairs? Yeah. <laughs> Your nails digging into the carpet. Absolutely. Um, You know, and like, it, fucking Spielberg's characters like, you know, sixteen at this point, seventeen. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like it's 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 brutal to yes. uproot yourself. Yes. Um, it just feels like you know. I mean, I knew again his parents got divorced, mm-hmm. but it feels like the end. Yeah. And when they see that house, that like cool modernist house that they're going to live yeah. in, but they never do live in. Right? They never do live in it. Well, this is the later move. This is when he gets the promotion. That's right. and then the divorce happens. First, they move into the house where they keep on saying like it's a rental, it's temporary, and it is this kind of weird haunted house. We're like, never going to pack it wrong. up, right? The modernist house. By the time he finally shows them the modernist house that they're moving into, the marriage is over. It it it. The next scene after the home video footage of the home film footage of the modernist house is the divorce announcement. Um. Right. Yeah. Um. But like, yeah, the modernist house feels like him being trying to save it. In like one last way. Right. And it's this thing where he keeps on saying like, do you not understand I'm working to get us a better life? I'm moving up in the company. This is all going so well. And they're like, no amount of money is going to make her happy. Meanwhile, she's getting a monkey. Like she's going more chaotic. Yes. You know, like she's going the opposite direction of him. They finally get her to agree to go into therapy. Um, When they divorce... There's, we should mention that we, we and we can talk briefly about Sammy gets a Christian girlfriend and it's very we funny. T- not briefly. We can talk about this a lot. We can talk about this How and the bully a lot. Two hours. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, I mean, but, these. I think, but it's sort of coming like the divorce. It the divorce conversation. I already mentioned it. it. Like it feels mundane and it feels like the divorce conversation we've seen. The mm-hmm. classic, like we're sitting the kids down. This is not your fault. This is what's how happening. dare you do this to us? Who's the bad guy? Let's find the victim. And it's the, just the, it's the just the crucial yeah. thing is obviously it's we just all want to find the guy who did this. We all want to find the guy who did this. But it's just the crucial thing is just that shot of yes. him, him in the reflected in the being mirror. like this would so be such incredible. a good scene in a movie someday. Right, but um. um yeah. Goes to high school, experiencing anti-Semitism for the first time. Yes. He's got this um, sort of big, strapping Aryan bully. Yes. Who is that the one that's played by Oaks Fegley? No, Oaks Fegley is the other one. Oaks Fegley is Chad, who's kind of the the, the psycho. The greaser psycho. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, right? Like the, the yeah. kid with anger issues, yes. I guess is the best way to put it. Right. Logan, who's played by Sam Reckner. That's His that's first... The- performance he's very i mean he's very very good in one specific scene especially yes. my favorite scene because initially yeah i mean i agree uh, and, initially and was the scene that finally brought me to tears and i would not have expected from the outside looking at it, that would be the scene that break me i was mm, like i get it though through I a lot of this it. movie and sure. that scene just knocked me out we will talk about it in a moment um, because like before then they are a little bit generic brand bullies. Not that I, I know Steven Spielberg is dealing with, like he was bullied at school. Yes. But you know what I mean? They yes. feel like, it feels like we're watching an old movie. It's movie bully. Yeah. yeah. They're like, uh, we're in one of these California high schools where everyone's outside all the time. Right. You Blackbird know, jungle or whatever. They're, they're right. like, meet me outside kid. You yeah. Know, they're punching yes. you in the stomach and all that Absolutely. shit. Absolutely. Uh, but here's right. Here's this Aryan boy who the, the sort of Weasley greaser kid uses as like muscle to enforce his anger right and as much as they all like sadistic sociopathic teenage boys do enjoy the sport 
of picking this kid's vulnerable spot, which is, of course, his Judaism. Yeah. It feels like Oaks Fegley is the only one who is genuinely maybe driven by a pure anti-Semitic hate. Right? The rest of them are kind of going along with the fun of showing dominance. The bullies are who they are, but then he does get a girlfriend, Ben. He kind of has a crush on Logan's girlfriend, I feel like, right? Correct. She's the one who's initially nice to him. Yes. yes. Um, but it, then it is the the her her more uh, overtly religious friend who is then drawn to him as this like exotic forbidden fruit. Uh, well, the reason uh, why he ends up then meeting and getting this girlfriend, it's because he says like, "Oh, I saw him making out with the redhead." Yeah, he he genuinely sees Logan cheating on his girlfriend, mm-hmm. high school girlfriend, making out with someone else. And then Logan is like, you cannot, like, have said that. You must reverse your opinion. You must, like, right. you just tell her I made right. it up. They gang up on him in uh, volleyball, a scene I found pretty triggering. And then uh, he sees him making out. He sort of can't look away in his forever observer role. Yeah. But then he accidentally slips, make a noise, is caught. They're ganging up on him outside. He's got the one trump card, which right. is, I can fucking call this out. Right. And then she calls out, this actress who, by the way, was in Licorice Pizza. Oh, was she? She plays the girl that I feel like uh, uh, Cooper Hoffman has a crush on. And then Skylar okay. Gisondo comes in and starts like flirting with her instead. Sure. She's one of the other actor, child actors in the movie, right? Then right. she is in this. And just today, I saw... Uh, uh, paparazzi photos from the beginning of filming on Francis Ford Coppola's Megalopolis. Mm. She's in that as well. Well, fucking first three movies good. are Paul Thomas Anderson, <laughs> Steven Spielberg, and Francis Ford Coppola. Right. I mean, What's her she... name? I don't know. Uh, let's see. This is Logan's girlfriend. I know, but what's her? One. What's her name? Or the lighter redhead one? Yeah. Uh, is she Chloe East? Yes. No, Chloe East is Chloe the one. East he is ends the girlfriend. Is the Christian girlfriend? Yes. yes, she is. Who's been on? Uh, like an ABC family show or whatever. And I, I looked her up. Uh, she has like YouTube videos from when she was like 12 of like how to redecorate your room that have like a million views. Cool. She was one of these weird fucking YouTube kids. I- Isabel Kussman or yes, Kussman right. is She's the, uh, the one who's is, is sort of uh, starting her career. With a bang. With a bang. Bang, bang. Um, um, but yes, he gets po- knocked out, but she can tell well, you knew that the girl was a redhead. I knew which girl that was. That's the one he keeps on cheating on me with. You knew something. Yeah. They make him go apologize, say he was lying, and she's like, but you knew. Right. Is it true that you're Jewish? And then they're both sort of fascinated by him as a novelty. Uh, This girl's obsessed with Jesus. Uh, She is. She's raised by a religious family. She, but she also like is obsessed with Jesus as a heartthrob status. She thinks like, he's hot. It's like teen beat. Yeah. Like yeah. pinups. That's, how, that's how she has gotten into being Ricky religious. Nelson. Yes. Jesus. He's hot. Yes. Look, Jesus is often presented as a hottie. And I, I like <laughs> when he's like, we don't know what Jesus looked like. And she's like, no, he looked like this. <laughs> he looked like this handsome man. You kind of look like him. You're Jewish too. Yes. You're like, at first I'm like, is she, does she like him because it feels like an act of rebellion to date a Jewish boy? Right. And there's probably a little bit of that, but there's even more of the like, well, Jesus was Jewish. Right. If I'm going to find my Jesus, he can't already be a Christian. 
but yeah, he's look, he's the freaking, you know, he's the forbidden fruit. I don't know how else to describe it. I think he's so insane. She is so insanely good. She's really funny. It feels very similar to the Amy Adams performance in Catch Me If You Can. Sure. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a real good way, in a sort of statement way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, like, oh, this is someone who we might be following for for years and years to come yeah, as an actor. Fair enough, yeah. Um, and so then later, there's uh, the fight at the dinner table. Right. Uh, Jeannie Berlin comes back over. Uh, the girlfriend's invited over for dinner. They're fighting about the monkey and everything else. Right. Uh, they're asking why he stopped filming stuff. Right. The mom calls out that he still sleeps with the camera under his pillow. Yeah. Yeah. Even if he's abandoned it, like he's still, it's his right. real love. And right. she's like, why aren't you filming this? There's the senior ditch day. You should film that. They're looking for photographers. This is the thing. And the girlfriend mentions that her dad has the Aeroflex camera. Right. The 35 millimeter. Or I think it's 16, but it's like a big step up. Right. Yes. And and it's like, this kid has been like disavowing film and filmmaking because it was, he sees it as this like poisonous thing. Right. And the second she says like, he's got a thing, it's called like an R. And he's like, the airflex. He knows everything about it. And yep. he starts like naming the technical stats of right. it. Right. It's cool. Jeannie Berlin will give him the money for the film reels. They convince the dad to rent the editing equipment. Yeah. Like sort of against his will. Yeah. Suddenly he's back on it. And then he shoots Ditch Day at the beach. Which is like a classic, it looks so classic, like California. Very, very 60s oh. surf movie kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And he, look, yeah, this is the important thing. He shows it at prom. And. But let's also say, when they hook up, when she, when he goes over to her house, let's pray, whatever. You're like, is this something where they're going to hook up one time that she's going to be embarrassed by him and like pretend to not know him the next day? No, she likes She her. comes over for dinner where they go to ditch date. They're like together the whole time. Like, yeah, you're like, fuck, he's but, actually got a girlfriend. But then when he says he loves her, she freaks well, out justifiably. But this is. This is the big. I just like that she's just like, wait, wait, wait a second, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> like she's not like, no, I love you too. Like she's like, hey, I guess this maybe is kind of a sex thing. Having seen too many movies, I was like, is this going to be a thing where the next scene she goes like, I mean, I, I don't can't know date you. a Jew. I don't know you, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And no, 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 she's like, no, they are together, yeah. as you said. It's sort of a more like having fun thing, forbidden fruit kind of thing. But they're together. They go to this dance. They go to the dance. He shows. Well, no, first. He says, you ever think about coming to L.A. with me? Yeah. She's like, aren't you going to college? He's like, I want to go to L.A. I want to like. He wants to be a movie boy. I want to be doing the movie thing. Why don't you come out with me? She's like, I got into another school. What are you talking about? She's got a fucking life to live. What are you trying to say? And he's like, I love you. He's all mixed up because of the divorce, obviously. Right. And she's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, look, my parents are getting divorced. And she's like, wait, what? And at first, my thought was she's rejecting him because she comes from such a religious background. Right. The it's, idea she that can't associate divorce with is happening. Broken home. Yeah. Instead, she's just like, oh, I'm reading you. I understand what's going on she does. here. She gets it. You're overcompensating. This doesn't even have anything to do with me, really. She's she's smart. Then Principal James Urbaniak comes up. He sure does. And it's like, time to screen the movie. Hey, come on, kid. Yeah. Uh, uh, film to screen here. I've got some horn-rimmed glasses on. Yes. I brought them myself from set. <laughs> you paid me $100. Um, uh, James Urbanic will the, someday be a guest on the show. We need to have him on. I he shows this movie. 
But but he's like dreading it. This is actually getting funny how every time I try and tee it up, Griff. Because this is the most important scene in the movie. He's fucking dreading it. And yeah. you're like, is he just so bruised by the rejection? Slash, did he phone this in? Is Wh- he not like, is this, you know, he's has he not found it again? He basically yeah. says, please don't make me do this. Right, right, right. He right, spools right. it up. The thing is incredible. It's like a perfect Annette Funicello beach blanket bingo movie. And you see all the stuff paying off because there's like little clips when they're at the beach of like dropping like yogurt, ice cream on people's faces. Where you're like, what is this? Yeah, what is this going to be? And you're like, oh, he actually like stays. He lands some gags. Yeah. Everyone's laughing. And anytime they cut to someone in the beat lands, they'll like stand up in the audience. Their friends will pat him on the back. It's like he's making everyone feel good. Right. He did a good job to like include everyone. But Logan is the hero of his movie. Right. And he's hot as fuck. He's like this he's sort of like strapping, golden like glowing movie God. star. And he's like filming him running on the beach in slow motion. Yeah. He's making Oaks Fegley look like a fucking dunce. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, right. He's, he is pretty brutal to Oaks Blankets Fegley, being yeah. pulled out from under him, uh, whatever, the the beach blanket. But, but yes, but he's making Logan look so goddamn good, right? Right, right. Uh, then there's this incredible Spielberg one. You talk about the skill of Spielberg. If mm. you can distill what is his superpower into one thing, it's like his fucking blocking, right? right. I love Nope. It is one of my favorite movies of the year. But uh, uh, Nick Lariano, former uh, uh, co-researcher on the show, mm-hmm. had a tweet thread about it where he was talking about, like, in Nope, Peel is trying to do the Spielberg oneers, Yep. And he does them better than most people do. Yeah, But the magic of what Spielberg is able to do, which no one else can do if you watch something like Jaws, is that he will have the oneer that will go on for so long that will start as one shot, morph into another shot, move, morph into another shot. And at every single moment, the composition is perfect. Even when people are crossing frame and rearranging and the camera's shifting and the plane is shifting, somehow, even in the transitional stages where it's morphing, it's always perfect and is communicating the story. There's never any sloppiness. And this is one of those sequences where there's the shot where it's like the movie stops. The redhead girl runs up to Logan and is like, Logan, you looked really good in right. that, right? Is talking to him. You're like, okay, the girlfriend is now going to come up furious that he's talking to the redhead girl. Right. Instead, she pushes the redhead girl away and just starts kissing Logan because she is so fucking horned up by the magic of the movies, right? Yep. Yep. Then we follow Christian girlfriend as she loops around behind them goes over the projector to look for Sammy, and Sammy's gone. And even though she just was like, Sammy, lose my fucking number, now she's kind of horn up for Sammy, and where is Sammy? It's just this shot that transforms four times in the wake of how everyone's perception has changed of everyone else post this movie screening, and Sammy is the one person nowhere to be found. Yeah. And he is sitting in a fetal position, hunched in the hallway by the lockers. And Logan comes over, and he is fucking irate. Yeah. Why did you do that? Why did you do that? Why would you do that? What are you talking about? And it's not what I love about this scene. It is is so complicated. It's not at all simple what he even means. And he doesn't even totally know what he's asking. No. But it's this combination of, why did you make me look... Why did you make me the hero of your movie when I've been so cruel to you? Is this Obviously, some incredibly of... perverse thing? Like, right. there has to be some ultimate Carrie-style mm-hmm. bucket of blood dropped on my head. Yeah. You couldn't set me up. Right. Like, way. what's the right? What's the turn here? Like, when does the, the shoot yeah. drop? Right? Um, and he says the thing where he's like, uh, 
wait, say, like she's she just kissed me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's right now nicer to me than she's ever been before. She idolizes me more than she ever has before, and I'm even meaner to her than I am to you. <laughs> and Sammy has that incredible line where he's just like, I don't know. Right. I don't know. And it's like, why did you do this? And he's like, I don't know. Maybe I wanted you to be nice for me nice to me for 20 seconds right maybe i just thought it would make for a better movie right. i don't know it's but it's i mean the the other there is a homoerotic edge to it that sort of, of distressed course. him right like why did you make me look so beautiful right you know like but it's um, the same part of him that's just like I, it's a good image i don't care if it's, it's my that mom it's a good or image it's my but he's bully. also like you are i yeah like i you're popping yeah you you you're fucking a movie star. Buddy. You're the only one who are a star potential. You know, I I looked around, I filmed a lot of stuff, and you, I'm sorry, you you made the cut. You're, you had you're it. number one. You've you, got it, and I can't help but make you look good. It sucked. It sucked. Right, I, right, I, right. I don't like, know why I did it either, but I fucking did it because guess power. what? I just everyone there was eating right. out of the palm of my hand. He's angry at himself. Yes, He's which like, is so I funny. wish there was some trick. I wish there was a justification. I chose the best footage. Um, it's like so good, but also not a conscious decision. Once again, he's just like, I don't fucking know. But why it I does did feel it. like Spielberg to this day, like looking at the sky and being like, "These gifts, I'm a yes, monster." Right. You know, like you know, like it's a little bit of truly that. yes, because he's scared. I can't help myself. He's scared by himself doing that. Um, and he has that speech where he's like. I run faster than anyone in the state. I work really hard for that. And right. I look at that guy up on the screen and I don't run as fast as he does. Right, right, right. You've turned me into something I'm not. Like you've he, turned me into yeah, something yeah, yeah. I can never live up to. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is this fucking power of the movies thing. It's like you've created some ecstatic truth that I now, who have has always felt so fucking confident in myself, Yeah. I will now feel inferior for the rest of my life because I can't live up to the fake version of me that you created. Right. And I don't understand why you would do that to me. And he like breaks down crying. Uh, it rules. It's a very, very good scene. And it is kind of the crux of the movie, right? Chills. Yeah. Chills. And he goes like, you better never, ever fucking tell anyone that this happened. It's so good. And he was like, I won't unless I make a movie about it. And then you're watching that fucking movie sure right now. Yes. And then he goes, oh, I, oh, I won't. I won't. Why would I ever make that movie? Who would unless watch I that? make a movie about yeah. it. Maybe, you know, I don't know, 50, 60 years, you know. An incredible on. joke, and yet somehow... The biggest laugh the movie got, I would say, in my audience. Yet somehow yeah. there is arguably still a greater meta joke coming. It's really like, right after this is really just like... Because the final scene with the mother... What is the final scene with her? Where they're in the kitchen, yes, and he's like, so right. she dumped me. Yeah. And she's like, why? And he's like, because I asked her to marry me. And, and she like, goes, really? And he goes, all but... Right. Which it's so funny that like even just 12 hours later, he recognizes saying I love you was way too intense. Yes. Yeah, he yeah, basically yeah. was saying to her, marry me. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Even right. though I don't think he literally thought he was saying that in that moment. Right. Um, um, for sure. And and they have the conversation. She, she like is like, I need to apologize for the slap. Mm -hmm. And he's like, the Chris Rock thing? That won't happen for another 50 years. And she's like, no, the time I slapped you. Thumbs down. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but they have this final like all of my tension with you is probably because I see too much of myself in you right. and her basically apologizing that he had to be burdened with knowing this whole thing being stuck in the middle of this dynamic all of this right. it's a heartbreaking scene it is it's the scene that should win Michelle Williams her supporting actress nomination yeah I, uh, an award that she will instead probably lose to Michelle Yeoh or Kate Blanchett 
she's I would say she's gonna run be runner up to I don't know who Kate Blanchett is. Lydia Tarr will be winning the Oscar oh, for sure, playing herself sure. in the film Tar. I think Michelle Yeoh could win. I think I think it could go either way. David's shaking Not his head. For, I, I, I no, I don't think so. But I do think she'll get a nomination. Or I'm very hopeful she'll get a nomination. Sure, honestly, but she would probably win supporting in a cakewalk though. Michelle, yes. Yeah, but I, mean, I would argue it's, it's category politicky fraud. where it's sure. like you know it's kind of like she's got you know partly because the category is a little weaker yada yeah. yada yada. I don't think it's category fraud. Uh, I think there at the very least I will say I think there's legitimate cases for either. I don't. I also hate the term category fraud. Um, well, I think you're a category fraud exactly because yeah. it just makes it sound like some crime, and I'm like, guys, let's all relax. It's crime art. Uh, um, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. There are no crimes in art. Exactly. Frank told me that. So we, we're jumping ahead a little bit to this mm-hmm. like slightly sadder apartment that dad lives One in One year now. later. It's kind of single guy apartment. Freshman year of college. college. Sammy is bad at college. He keeps on coming home and staying with his dad in the apartment rather than staying in the dorm because his roommate's driving him crazy. Um, and A he, real I want to drop out of college move. Right. Yes. Uh, and he, uh, you know. Um, he's having a panic attack. He thinks he's having a heart attack. But his dad, sort of like the doctor, puts his head to his chest and is like, "You're all right. This is a panic attack. Your mother has them. You're fine." But there's the dad doesn't want to see the pictures though. That's what I remember. Well, right, it, like that's he, that's right. Is that the same scene? They get the letter from the yeah, mom. Right. From the and mom. She's like, it's weird. It's just random pictures of some backyard party. Right. And then the dad looks at the one and like turns away. And it's Seth Rogen is like grilling or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. That's the thing I remembered. Honestly, it's just like. As much as Dano is being a mensch about the whole thing, yes. he is so heartbroken. Yes. Right? Like, he can't really handle it. He tries to give his son the ultimate gift, which is... $100. To spend on whatever he wants. People think more money is a greater gift. No. It isn't. 100 is the best gift you could ever get. And it can give. buy you love. It can. Yeah. It can. 101 can't. Nope. Um, no, he says, like, you. basically, he gives in the Rogan speech. He's like, you have to do this. I can't stop you from doing yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? You should go. You should pursue this. Right, right. But he, even when he's trying to free his son from the burden of the expectations, yeah. there's the final knife jab where he goes, maybe it's my fault. Maybe I should have stomped this out while you were young and I still had the chance. But now it's too late. Sure. It's, it's so it's a, heartbreaking. It's, yeah, it's sort of and an anti-endorsement like, But you love this. You're yeah. very good at this. You should do I it. But it. also, oh boy, I wish you didn't want to yeah well, he's like it's my fault at this point right. i have to own the mistake that i didn't stop you from pursuing right. the stupid thing while i could can and, and there's uh, this still could. weird line where sammy replies with like i'll show you i'll make a movie about a dinosaur theme park and then you'll love me yeah i thought that line was a little on the a nose. little on the nose yeah yeah right i'll show you i'm gonna make a whole company where there's a boy in a moon fishing for films for dreams david the fucking logo at the beginning of this movie what is the logo? universal movie? logo yeah, and then ET starts writing in front oh, yeah. oh, of you the Universal seen this. Globe. Yes, yes, yes. It turns into Amblin. Yes. Right. This is the new thing. This is Spielberg's first Universal movie in ten years. Is that true? He was. Should we go through him? Because he was obviously predominantly a Universal guy. Then DreamWorks, but DreamWorks and Universal did a lot of stuff together. Yes, his last Universal film, wow, was um was Munich, and that was like oh. Universal DreamWorks. Yes. So that doesn't even, you know, like his last like full Universal film yeah. was The Lost World, Jurassic Park. Right. Okay. It just even the DreamWorks relationship with Universal, he was still sort of in bed with them. And then yeah, like yeah, yeah. then DreamWorks went over to Disney. It's but it's and like, then he's been free agenting around. He did 
two Foxes. He did a Warner Brothers. Ready Player One was Warner Brothers. Yep. Post and uh, West's Story were Fox. BFG, Lincoln, BFG, was Disney. Bridges Prize were all Disney. Uh, well, yeah, Lincoln and Bridges Prize were Fox, weren't they? Or maybe not. Were they Disney? No, they were Touchstone. They DreamWorks. were Touchstone. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, uh, anyway, yeah. Touchstone uh, became the DreamWorks label for like six Tintin years. was a weird like Paramount, Paramount Sony Nickelodeon. Thing? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, maybe Sony was international. This just that logo felt like Universal being like, "He's back, we baby. Got him, bitch. We got him." And he does not like Warner Brothers anymore. No, and it felt sure. very similar to Universal rolling out the red carpet for Nolan, being like, "We now want to be the most director friendly." Hundred percent, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come to us. Um, um, yeah. Anyway, okay. So the final scene of the film. Look, I knew that David Lynch was in this film playing John Ford. Yes. I was aware of this. Yes. His casting had been announced, and then I'd heard this sort of scuttlebutt of like, "Do you know who he's playing? John yeah. Ford." Now, had you heard the yes. John Ford story? Before? I had heard yes, the he John Ford story before, interviews. but yeah. I had never. I couldn't remember it exactly. I just sure. remember that it was John Ford being like, "Look at that painting," you know. Like I remember that. I believe I invoked it in the War Horse episode. You've invoked it at some point, right? And I can't remember when. But I know there's the promotional tour for Cowboys and Indians. Told it because there's which these, John Ford directed. John Ford did direct. Right. Now, there are these YouTube videos where it's like Grazer, Spielberg, sure. Howard, Favreau, the four masters, the <laughs> Titans, and it's just them talking about the cinematic arts. It's them trying to be like Favreau, welcome to the club, right? Yeah. And there's one of those videos that went semi-viral with him telling that story in the directed by John Ford documentary that Bogdanovich uh, made. Yeah. He tells this story. I think he told for an AFI thing once. He's told versions of the story before. So when you hear that David Lynch is gonna play John you're like, like it's gonna be this right scene. It's, it's gonna, gonna be, be the scene. scene but it is I have been waiting and then I've sort of forgotten about it then I'm like wait a second you're sort so of deep like, in the movie okay right. so like, we're ending oh, on this are interesting we? uh and it's just I mean it's just perfect uh he sits there he waits there's the old uh receptionist lady right you know he comes in covered in smooches comes in covered in red lipstick it's it's like my fucking lauren michaels you'll get sad eventually story which i've told in the pod before where it's like i remember every single visual detail of these 90 seconds of my life yes um, right it's so clear that every element of this is etched into his brain when he tells the story in all these interviews he talks about he comes in covered in smooches the receptionist falls after him she walks out a minute later the handkerchiefs are all red now yes. like every single detail yes. of this so, w- so what, what is it exactly? Because you just saw it. Uh, the, yeah, the, okay. The, so it's Courtney Fine says, No, I, I, mean, I can't help you. You don't want to be. I know in why movie. he's meaning. I mean, uh, like, what is he? The right. painting. Look at the painting. He says, Yeah, he said, Kid, what do you know about art? Right. He's smoking a big pipe. Everyone's warning him, like, uh, stogie. five minutes. It's a stogie. Not it's a probably sorry, sorry, one, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Take off the tie, he'll like you more. Right, right. You'll have a better shot. It I is think really she says. funny how they're all right. They're trying to prep him. Yeah. Right. And then he walks in and tries to do the, like, uh, Mr. Ford, I love your movies. Movie, Shut yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> Sucking on this fucking cigar, yeah. right? And he's like, art. What do you know about art? And he's like, well, I love movies. Not movies, art. Right. And he's like, uh, uh, go over there. Look at that painting. What do you see? And he's like, it's like the cowboy. And no, 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 not that. The horizon. Where's the horizon? Uh, it's here at the bottom. Okay, next. That, next paint. Look at the next paint. That one. Yeah. What do you see? And he repeats the same mistake. Right. He's like, oh, uh, the cowboys like around no, 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 no. Fuck that. Where's the horizon? Up at the top. Yeah. And he, then I believe he just basically says, uh, uh, if the horizon is at the top, it's interesting. If the horizon is at the bottom, it's interesting. If the horizon is in the middle, it's fucking boring. Yes. Now get the fuck out of my office. Now, the time Spielberg has told this story, in different places 
sometimes it changes a little. A little bit. In the Cowboys and Indians version, which I rewatched. Cowboys and Aliens. Ugh, the Cowboys and the Aliens version. We watched Cowboys and Aliens. The movie. Yeah. And I went, why did I rewatch this? Um, Awful. Yeah. I rewatched the, I, or I'd never maybe seen the full directed by John Ford thing as well sure. last night. So I rewatched that or watched it. Yeah. And I watched this Cowboys and Aliens video. In that version, the way he tells it, John Ford says, if you can figure out the difference between what it means when the horizon's at the top and at the horizon's at the bottom, then maybe, maybe you have a chance of making a decent picture. Yes. I feel like Spielberg has turned it into something more funny. Right. Because it's a movie. He takes right. a little bit of the import away from it. But, right. but the lesson of that is basically for the first time he's talking to someone who actually does this thing yeah. and says to him, like, you know, they tell me you're a picture maker, right. dismissive. He's not impressed with you. Right. Now he's basically like, you gotta un you need to learn what you want to say. Right. Right? Right. Here's this kid at this whole movie has just not really understood why he's good at making movies. It opens he's good doors at making for things him. Look good. It yeah. changes his relationships to other people in ways both good and bad. He doesn't know what he wants to say. The movies he's making are all just it'd be fun to make a war movie because I just saw a war movie with my friends. Right. It'd be fun to make a western because I just saw Man Who Shot Liberty Valance or whatever. And for the first time, Ford's basically saying to him, you need to understand what these images are saying and what you want to say with them. Right. He walks out. This, this is it. Because I knew the Ford, and I sort of knew the parameters of the Ford yeah. story. The thing that surprised me was the final shot of the movie. And I've seen so many people say, Griffin, you're going to lose your fucking mind when you see the final shot yes. of this movie. And I'm like, what could this what could final it be? It's him running through be? the studios. You know, oh, he's on the lot. Much like the tar ending, which I will not spoil for anyone because it's not a tar ending. A uh, tar episode. Yeah. So many people say, you will not believe the fucking ending of tar. And I'm like, well, now I'm ruined because I'm going to spend the whole movie trying to guess what the ending is. But you couldn't. You cannot. <laughs> you truly can't. It is yes. fundamentally impossible <laughs> yes. to guess the ending of Tar. Yes. And I'm is. sitting here up until this last moment. I'm like, what fucking shot could he pull out at this moment? Yeah. And if it's just this shot of him walking down the alleyway Soaring, in between the, the studios and the back lot, the sound stages, like, that's a nice shot. But why did people say this was a knockout? And then there's a fucking herky-jerky yes. camera tilt yes. to frame up. The camera essentially drops to the floor to look up. Yes. So the horizon, like, yeah, it's like one of the yeah. legs of the tripod yes. goes yeah. out so that no longer the horizon is at the middle. Yes. It's, it's in a more so interesting place. Good. Oh, God, it makes me so happy. But it's also one of these things where it. it's like, it's one of these moments that takes you out of the movie, pointedly, yes. to say... Initially, Spielberg was going to say cut. And he hmm. decided that's too cheesy. The one step. I, I just want right. the camera to drop. Right, but you just suddenly become aware of yeah. the construction. This is a movie. And you're also was, like, huh, it does look better. It does. <laughs> like, he was right. <laughs> like, it's Spielberg be, being both like, this is fundamental. Yeah. And like, this is a thing I can't ever not do. Yeah. But he's also like, it's easy. <laughs> Put the when camera it, on the floor. When it happens, <laughs> looks at, better. The, at the first moment, I was like, this is really sloppy for a Spielberg movie. Like, it took... A millisecond for me to process. That's funny. Yeah, and then I was like, "Oh my god!" What the camera fell down. Hey, hey! Someone pick up the I'm camera. Just like, Yanish usually is smoother on the moves. You're gonna that. break it. It's a fall down. It's you know how camera. expensive they so are. So this whole movie's been about these fucking expensive <laughs> cameras. What a picture! What a picture! I turned to Ben. Four out of twenty-five. I turned to Ben and I just say, "I said it's all in there." Mm. I said, what? Yeah, he eventually went, what the fuck are you talking <laughs> huh? about? And I was like, that movie's about everything. Mm. That movie's about everything. It's not about movies in a glib way. 
It's about like all of us trying to understand why movies have any weird power over us. Damn right. Why we want to watch these things, why we want to make these things, and simultaneously about understanding that you're never going to totally understand your parents, which is the fundamental tragedy that all of us will live through to some degree or another in our lives. You know, inescapable. It's about feelings and how difficult it is to express them and how to find them. a language in your life to be able to express them. Not to invoke Tar again, in fact, but I just saw Tar with my wife. I saw her. I saw Lydia. I met her yeah. again. I'd yeah. seen her before, meet her again. Yeah. She's real. Yeah. And at the end of the movie, I'm like doing what you're doing. I'm like going on about what I liked about it. And, yeah. and you know, what's so interesting about the character. And my wife was like, she's got a lot of feelings and she wants to express them. It's tough for her to express them. And I was like, that's, that's pretty why good you married her. It. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's how, that's what's going on with Sammy Fableman. Yeah. Let's play the box office game. Well, Great, can't. there is no box office Perfect. game. Perfect. The movie hasn't come out. Episode. movie uh, comes out in a week. Yeah, I mean, I imagine that uh, a little movie called Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Oh, right. It comes out tomorrow at the time of recording. Will be atop yeah. the box office yes. uh, when Fablemans is Do we limited guess? release. Yeah, it'll be Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Mm-hmm. And uh, then it will, because that's the only movie coming out right. in wide release. What do you think because- Wakanda Forever is going to do? That's I feel actually like this is the question, question of, is it going to be a little under the original or a little over the It'll original? It'll be under the original, right? What was the original? The original is 209, I want to say. It'll be under that, won't it? It's just hard these days to get that. Right. I think it'll be like 150. That right. would be a lot under. I feel like most people are guessing between 175 and 190. Hmm. And Disney's like, maybe we can outdo the original by like 2 million. Damn. I mean, good for them. Uh, I don't think so. I think it'll be like one, okay, 175. How about that? Okay, yeah. I think uh, that's the safe bet. And then it's going to be like Black Adam ticket to paradise, you right. know, La La Crocodile. Right, Black Adam doing like 10 tickets like to paradise doing like seven. Yeah. Lyle right. and Smile doing like five or three. Yeah. I don't think, I think maybe Armageddon time is expanding. So that'll probably do like 115, 120. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Uh, ben is opening the door to get our deli yep. meat. Perfect um, timing. Um, but yeah. Uh, you've seen Wakanda it, Forever? Yes. You liked it? Uh, it is a very, uh, I liked it okay. I liked it okay. It's a yeah. very, it has, it is, there's, there's a really good movie uh, yeah. that would have starred Chadwick Boseman in there and then Chadwick Boseman died. Yeah. And it feels like the stuff, the Namor stuff, yeah. the stuff that was always there yeah. is the best part of the movie. But that doesn't totally work without... It's just tough to find a movie with a, you know, where everyone has to be sad because the guy's dead because the real guy is dead and that is sad. I was... And it does a good job wrestling with it, I would say. But it's just tough to make a fun movie, you know... And a comic book movie with like Marvel cameos in it. I you was know? so surprised. But there's a lot of, I think it's a very interesting movie, sure. honestly. I'm excited to see it. I'm going to see it tomorrow. It's certainly the most excited I've been for a Marvel thing in a while. Uh, I was surprised that they got the movie up on its feet so quickly after Bozeman died, considering that Kugler was like, I did not know the script was done. It was right. written it was, for uh, him. Right. We had a totally different script. And right. then when I saw the trailer and it was so forward with the, the grieving and the loss of this character, I was like, oh, fuck. Did he truly go back to the drawing board and totally rejigger the movie? Yeah. And everything I've heard now feels like he kept about half of the movie without T'Challa in it and then made the other half about the absence of T'Challa. Yeah. But half of the stuff you can tell, this should have had this other character. Sure enough. Yeah. I mean, it works, but I don't know. I'm seeing it again tomorrow. With your wife? Yeah. So, like, I'll I'll have more feelings on it, I guess. Yeah. Did you Uh, skip the last couple of Marvels in theaters? uh, Thor, I was like, I ain't seeing that shit again. Right. And she didn't see Eternals? 
She did not see Eternals. She saw Spider-Man. She, she saw, saw Eternals on Disney+. Plus. She saw Spider-Man. She saw Shang-Chi. She saw Doctor Strange in theaters. Black Widow? Well, we saw that on like Disney Plus. Sure, like that I'm was more like, deep. Uh, uh, your your wife. Yeah, she'll she'll watch the Marvel movies, but she did not watch Love and Thunder in theaters. We she watched started that skipping on Disney some. Plus. I know a lot of it's being a mother now. It's partly it's the parent thing. She would have seen Love and Thunder. Yeah, in so it. little, no, 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 it's true. Apple. I mean, but the thing with Love and Thunder was I had just seen it that week, yeah. and I was like, I, I don't ain't want fucking seeing that twice. Yeah. Go with a friend or don't. Yeah, like you know, and like she was just sort of like, eh, I whatever. How I felt. not that still have not watched it. You should watch it. I watch it. You say that. I'm going to at some point. I'm going to be cooped up in a hotel in Rochester. That's for a true. Month. That's yeah. true. I think I'm going to watch a lot of things I've been putting off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, we're done. Okay. Goodbye. Uh, the Fablemans is an incredible movie. Yeah, I think it rules. I loved it. It uh, reminded me of what I care about. Damn right. Now, let's Help go me work eat some of my own shit. Damn fucking... Yeah, yeah let's, let's eat, eat the meat. It smells so goddamn good. Yeah, right uh, and now. then we'll do a, a quick little Wendell and Wild. Just a quick one. Yeah, so if you want to try to carbon date these records, next week in release schedule is Nightmare Before Christmas? Uh, yes, Correct. right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So uh, you're yeah. going to get two Selleks. Uh, yeah, you'll get Nightmare Before Christmas, James and the... No, you'll get three Selleks. Okay. And James and the Giant Peach and, Peach and Monkey Bone. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we will discuss Avatar The Way of Water on December 18th. And then we're going to be off for Christmas and New Year's and then back on January 8th with Coraline. This is boring stuff to talk about, but now having seen a lot of these movies, it does feel like Fablemans is winning Best Picture unless Babylon or Avatar Mm -hmm. are like transcendent masterpieces, right? We'll see. Let's turn off the mics. I just think the Wakanda Forever winning Best Picture thing is done. Oh, yeah, that was never going to happen. Never I suppose happen. if it was some like if it was right. This is come on. Let's turn off the mic. We did great. Okay, Fablemans. We're, we're hungry. hungry. I gotta pee. Thank you all for listening. Thank Please you. remember to rate, review, and subscribe. David is already pushing his microphone away. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media and helping to produce the show. Thank you to Joe Bowen and Pat Reynolds for our artwork. Lane Montgomery and the Great American Novel for our theme song. Uh, Alex Barron. Uh, Adrian McKeon for our editing. Thank you to J.J. Birch for our research, even though he didn't do shit on this episode. Happy holidays, J.J. Go to blankcheckpod.com for some links to some real nerdy shit, including our Patreon, Blank Check Special Features, where in the month of December, we are uncovering the two National Treasure movies and also talking The Walk. Tune in next week, as we said, for The Night Before Christmas, a new miniseries entitled Ben Hosley's The Pod Mare Before Castmas. And as always, we're about to eat some fucking pastrami sandwiches. Should I just get a quart of matzo ball soup? Yes. Okay. Yes. Do they have celery soda? They uh, must, right? They probably do. I can I can. I mean, I feel like this is actually good to have on mic because for know. this episode, yeah. Yeah, For Wendell and Wild, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, they've got a celery. Oh, you nut! I hate that shit. It's so good. Ugh. Um, Medicinal. Yeah, I mean, that is. I love a tonic. Yes, a vegetable tonic. Yes, cure my ailments. Yeah, my humors. <laughs> I got the humors. Yes. Have you gotten your humors vaccine yet? Oh God, uh, just the bile and the um. What are the four humors? Fuck, I want to look it up. Uh. The bile mm-hmm. and the, uh, the, sorry, the black bile and the phlegm. Those sure, are the two sure. I've had taken sure. care of. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, pigs in blanket? Am I crazy? That, yes, you're insane. Don't do that. Mm.
Don't do that. Hmm. That'd be like bringing a monkey into the home. I wanted to laugh. 